Hey everyone, it's Dave. Real quick, before we get this episode started, I just want to say, this episode is brought to you, as usual, by Black Crown Car Service. If you are in the Northwest, if you are in Seattle area, and you need a ride, use Black Crown Car. Go to www.blackcrowncar.com, download the app, get it on your phone, use it, you need rides to the airport, you need rides to work, you need to set up something special, any time of the day or night, excellent drivers, they know their stuff. Soto is the guy. He's the man. He's been on this show. He's my friend. I've driven for the company in the past. This is a good company. Use them. All right, let's get into the episode. Here we go. Hello all, it's Dave, back with another episode of I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is someone I've known for a long time. I say that every episode. I'm trying to tell myself I don't have to. I've known all these people for a long time. That's the point of the show. Anyway, my guest today has been in a number of bands in the Northwest. He was in Harkonnen. He is currently in Helms of Lee. I know he's done a number of other things. And he makes amps. And he was in Edge of Quarrel. A lot of people on the show were in Edge of Coral. He was a pretty important role in Edge of Coral. He played Johnson. That's right. When I was writing the script, I said, I need a character that's a real dick. And I named him Johnson. And that in no way reflected on the person that I asked to play the role. Although he did do a good job when the character called for being a real jerk. Oh, he's patting himself on the shoulder right now. My <laughs> guest today is Ben Varellen. Howdy. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. So excited to finally get you in here. Oh, it's it's an honor to to be involved. <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> Did you remember that was your character's name? I not until you just said it. No. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure that your character's name is said out loud in the film. I don't believe I was ever addressed by name. I think you yeah. are in the deleted scene. Oh, with right. a telephone call to Carrie Whitney's character. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think my take on it was, ah, oh, there, there's his name. But yeah. regardless, it doesn't. I mean, none of the names matter so much. It's just what I put down in the script as I was writing them. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> well, it, I like. I'm glad I could throw that out there and kind of like knock you off center a little bit before <laughs> we got started. Um, I start every episode of this podcast uh, with the same thing. I say, uh, Ben, I've known you too long. Yeah, too long. What's well, the name of the show? Right, right. Just, just long enough. Just <laughs> no. It's so the the idea is is I try to find a way that that title actually relates, and what yeah. usually comes out is I've known you so long that, that. Uh, I don't even remember when we actually met the first time. So what I try to do is figure out with the person I'm talking to mm-hmm. when we first met. Okay. Figure it out if we can down to a handshake, you know. Right. And then go mm-hmm. back from there. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you, who you are, where you came from, how we came to be in the same place at the same time in the same strange world that we've been in. Right. And that takes a good portion of the time usually. And then we'll talk about what you've done since basically. Okay. Okay. All right. So So when we meet, man. Pinpointing the moment. um, I mean, if I had to guess, I imagine I was probably uh, pretty close to my brother's side when that happened. Maybe a bot show. Um, an early bot show. I'm an early bot show. Um, I mean, do you remember coming down to Tacoma much for bot shows? Sometimes. Uh, there was a place called Organ Donors and uh, the Lake City Community Center might have been a spot. 
Lake City Community Center. I do remember. Strain came down. Trial came down. Played a few shows. Um, and that was early enough that it could have been one of the. I'm just guessing though. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, you know, for me, I don't know if this ble- bleeds too much into the part where we're going backwards from the moment of meeting. No, but, it's okay. But it seems to me like I knew about you much earlier than we met. And you knew about me, I would say. Well, I was doing the record label. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just put out the Undertow record, probably. You probably didn't know who I was prior to the release of the LP. Well, I knew I had the uh, the mail order catalog or the, uh, it was like a some kind of brochure thing that Excursion had or like a, a leaflet or mm-hmm. something. I used and to make a ton of those. Yeah, yeah, we... <laughs> Each me and all my buddies each had one. And it was like we had our little like collections of just cool knickknacks and leaflets and you know all the stuff that you find on the the table at, at punk shows and uh, so I mean we knew who Excursion was. We we had all the records that you put out and studied them. And thank you. Uh, there's the, there was the comp, and I think the comp was the kind of the starting place. The uh, Universal Choking Sign Comp. The Universal Choking Sign Compilation. Yeah. Okay. It was, that was before I knew you, but that was just... So you didn't know me yet when that came out, nope. but it's it's going to be a rapid... Like, things are going to happen in pretty rapid succession after <laughs> the release of that, because Botch is becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, probably right after I put out that comp is when we started working on doing the first version of Unifying Themes, the Botch CD. It's called Unifying Themes of Sex, Death, and Religion, and it was the two seven inches in a comp song, and that came out on Excursion. Yeah, I I want to say that the choking sign comp would have been well before that. And the reason I think that is because I was definitely in junior high school with that record, studying that record. And it was before uh, Trial was a band. And I think Greg Bennett just did a solo spoken word thing. There was a bass guitar part and he just did like a speech about a bitter pill. And I, I, I totally vividly remember that record. Someone handed me a bitter pill. (laughs) Told me it tasted sweet. Oh, I love it. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Greg Benick has a spoken word piece, which is the first track on that compilation. Yeah. But see what, what I find that happens is that everybody thinks the time between releases in the mid nineties are these long periods of time (laughs) and they are nothing compared to the amount of time we've had go by since. But so, okay. So now we know that trial wasn't a band yet. No, uh, the headline. Okay. Cause it's in the compilation in the universal choking sign compilation. Well, I was just thinking of if trial wasn't a headline, he was using headline communications as the contact information in the insert that comes with it. Okay. And yeah, so trial happens like quite, quite soon after that. Botch happens really quickly after that. Right. And then as soon as I knew, I feel like as soon as I knew your brother, Dave, I knew about you. And when did, because when did you start doing Harkonnen? Um, I mean, Dave started playing with uh, the rest of the Botch guys, I would say sometime in the middle of 1993. And I met Matt Howard, the drummer from Harkonnen, whose older sister was good friends with the Botch guys right about that same time. And I think... I kind of crashed the band, the like alternative-y grungy band that he was doing at the time and sort of invaded it and was kind of like, I just saw this Undertow band, we should rip it off. And he's like, Undertow, my sister. And he had the record and that was kind of the like inception of that. So that was probably like late, that was probably 1994. So, I mean. So you started playing with Matt Howard in 94? Yes. End of 94? Mm, I would say spring of 94, actually. 
Were you coming to Seattle for shows? Yep. We were. How old were you? Uh, I was 13 years old when I saw Undertow and Chokehold and Spearhead, who eventually became Balance of the World. And there was one other band that I can't recall. But um, yeah, that show was, I think, that was like either 1993 or maybe that spring of 94. Uh, where was that show? Uh, that was at Ground Zero. At Ground Zero. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance we met at that show. No way. No, I wouldn't talk to a soul. <laughs> you didn't talk to anybody? No, me. And your brother wouldn't have said, hey, this is my kid brother? I don't think he knew you then either. He was new. And I, there was a, I don't know how much you remember this, but it, it was weird, I think, especially for the Tacoma gang coming up to Seattle shows. It's they, been talked a little bit about on here. And I mean, I think this is even before Botch was playing shows and on anybody's radar as this band, but just, um, you know, that scene of Seattle bands and all the people involved were, it was an intimidating, colorful bunch of people to us. And especially me, I was, I was 13 years old. I was a baby. Hey, by the way, I like that you've got the political language figured out for the podcast. A colorful group of people <laughs> is a great way to say there's some real assholes. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's assholes, but there's not even just, if they're just assholes, that's easy. It's more like these people that you you are appreciating what they're doing and you're in this room full of all this crazy energy that's new to you. You're 13, you're a kid and you're just seeing people just flying around the room and just all inspired and this crazy music happening. And it was, it was totally this cool thing. But at the same time you were like, I like, this is awesome. I want to be involved in this, but it's not as simple as that. Like, this is like a, you know, I'm new and this is like, this is a definitely a social thing. I this takes a little bit of care to kind of, wrap your head around what the hell is going on here. Well, I think the difference is, is that just a few years before that, mm -hmm. um, the scene was so small that if yeah. you were a new person coming to that scene, it was like, roll out the red carpet. Totally. You yeah. are here. Welcome. <laughs> and you end up getting people that probably don't deserve that kind of treatment sometimes coming right. in that way. Right? right. And then after there's enough of you where you feel like you have a bit of a scene, then all of a sudden it becomes this tribal thing. Like, <laughs> Oh, you want in? Why? Right. Yeah. And that, you're the that was my like introduction i think <laughs> botch is an excellent example mm -hmm. because botch was a good band well past the point into the time when people were saying botch was not a good band and i do remember that going on i remember thinking no this band is really really cool and they they had hurdles that were bigger that they had to get over than a lot of people um and for some reason it got weird like well there's those tacoma guys mm -hmm. there was a strange thing there was almost a riff we talk about um the candy crew incident that happened where like Markley and Chris Williams and a bunch of people came up from down South and ended up at a show at the Aurora house. Uh -huh. And it was like an invasion. Like it was oh. like, who are these guys from down South? You know? And like every time a new group of people came in, it was no longer always like, Hey, who are you? It was mm -hmm. like, who are these guys? Mm -hmm. You know, they <laughs> totally. For, are they here for our women, right? Yes. <laughs> and I, there's probably a lot of uh, tensions involved in that sort of, you know, who are you? Are you welcome here? What? Yeah. What's your What's your deal? That were that weren't even on my radar because I was such a kid. I was so young that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a threat to anybody's girlfriend or anything like that for sure. Yeah. And they were just like, basically it was a total, like, these are the big kids and they're doing big kid things. And I'm, I want to tag, tag along and absorb as much of it as I can kind of thing. But so if you were 13 in 94, uh, I guess 93, I was 13. And oh, just to clarify, I saw Botch play their first show in 93 at a weird outdoor rec hall in Tacoma somewhere. 
and my parents' garage. That was the first show. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I think it was, I must have been 14 or 13 going on 14 in 1994. When and that was your first show you'd been to or you'd been to shows before that? No, no. I mean, I saw... Um, well, we'll get to that. Okay. We're going to come... We're going to save all okay. of those early influences for the, the how you got up there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, but so you and I, at some point, it becomes more regular for you to be coming to these shows. Yep. Yep. It wasn't as weird walking in. Yeah. It took a few years <laughs> to really feel comfortable. I mean, I think, you know, me and Matt Howard, Harkonnen drummer, we'd just kind of pal around and stay in the corner and kind of talk amongst each other. And we didn't really socialize too much or branch out, especially at those Seattle shows. You know, we'd go, we'd, you know, find our way up to old firehouse or the velvet Elvis on those Sunday matinee shows. And mm-hmm. I mean, which is a whole nother level of intimidation, you know, you're in pioneer square and, uh, and all that, all that comes along with that. And so that was intense as well, but it was just like, let's just shut up and not step on anybody's toes and just <laughs> hopefully nobody will notice we're here. <laughs> well, you guys did, you did a seven inch with Harkonnen. You guys started playing shows and then you did a seven inch, your first seven inch. There was a tape first, but yeah. Oh, there is a cassette. There's a mm-hmm. demo. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how, how long it was until the second seven inch you did came out because that's on my label. Yeah. At that point I knew you. Totally. Yeah. And not well, but we had met for sure by then. And, uh, the first, uh, iteration of the band, um, Harkonnen involved the Mike Jones was a singer. I don't know if you remember Mike mm-hmm. and, um, Chris Van Court, fat Chris was the name by his choice. Not, not a mean name for him. He's, he was high. My name's fat Chris. Dude's so. getting nicknamed. Yeah. Yeah. He was fat Chris. Yeah. Maybe wouldn't fly as well today, but you know, we all grew up watching fat Albert, right? Sad. So, yeah, totally. Right. He, he was, he was down. Um, and then when those guys left the band, then uh, Aaron Connell had moved to Aaron Edge. Sorry, Aaron Edge. Let's make sure people know who we're talking right, about. Right, right. He'd moved to town, and uh, and he was new and looked for a band, and we were looking for a singer. And it was when he joined the band that we did the seven inch with Excursion. Yes, he set that up with me. Mm-hmm. Aaron was putting together the genuine record. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I believe that what he said was, "You should put out the genuine LP." And you should do the Harkonnen. You should just start putting out my music. And at the, I was like, hell yes, I will. He was like, you should sing on one of the genuine songs. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, Pretty uh, infectious personality, that dude. Oh, he's, he came he's, in. He well, wins him over. <laughs> so like, do you remember what year it was that he got into the band? He would have been involved around 1998. By that time, Harkonnen had put out... A seven inch a tape and we'd done a couple tours down the west coast and then um we had that change of personnel and then when aaron joined we did that seven inch with you and did a tour and then i think that was about it with aaron it was a pretty short-lived that was about a year yeah with him in the band so i think that what ended up happening with you and this happens with people who are just a little bit younger than mm-hmm. what my core group of friends was right there and this is this is kind of like a, the Cody Votolato thing too, you know. It's like um, he hasn't been on the show, but his brother has, and it's like someone who's around from when they were much younger, and then they become a continuous presence, and then later they're doing a, a band, and they're like, "Oh, this is Ben Rowland's band," and I'd be like, "Oh, Dave's brother," That's... having no idea when it was I met you. So we probably never had a, a real conversation until the record was coming out. I believe that's right. When you when you say I, that's, we were probably introduced by Aaron. Actually, okay. I think about it. 
That know? probably sounds right. And then right after that, it was like, because if he, because because right oh, after that, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had to cast you in Edge of Coral. No, I just remembered when I met you. I know for a fact this happens. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, so old firehouse, and I had a copy of At Both Ends, and I remember I don't know how it came up, but I think I just I might have just like, you know, like I'm just gonna go ask him. So I just walked up, and I remember saying, "Hey, you put out At Both Ends, right?" And you were like, "Yeah," and I think I was just my copy doesn't have the insert in it, <laughs> and I remember asking you if you had any more of the inserts because and I probably got pissed off. No, you were really nice. Yeah, but I'm pro- not pissed at you. Pissed that your copy did not have the insert in it. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Because yeah. I print, I would print the inserts and send it to the company that was supposed to insert them. Uh-huh. And sometimes they'd get put in and sometimes they get left out. And I'm paying to print them. I'm paying to ship them. And then they're right. not ending up in the record. Yeah. And that was getting pressed over and over again. So I was trying to get them inserts for every repress. Totally remember this conversation now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, as much as you can, but I, I remember that being the first time we met. And that, that was just like a super brief, not even my name or anything, but, you know, whatever. Conversation. First interaction. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are one of a handful of people that accosted me at musical events about <laughs> lyric sheets. Didn't happen a lot, but I do remember it happening. So I'm sure that that you're right. <laughs> I mainly, I think I was jealous because Matt's copy of the CD had that really cool booklet with all those amazing live photos and I had the record, which like, the record's great, but I was like, man, you know, how it is with, with hardcore records, especially, you know, yeah, half I, of the fun is, I really wish I had had the money and the wherewithal to be able to get a big, glossy, book. awesome booklet printed <laughs> for the Apple fans LP. That was as good as what was in the CD. And it was yeah. frustrating because CD booklets were, were, it was made to be printed that way. You know, totally. they were, they were expensive, but, it was so much more expensive for the LP stuff. Oh yeah, insane! I imagine. And it's my and I didn't have the knowledge of like offset printing and how to go get it. You know, years later, I found a place that could do printing like high quality printing at, at decent prices where I could do better stuff. And if I had had that back in the undertow days, there would have been a cool fold out poster at least or something Dude, in there. It's how it always is. You figure those little things out as you go. Yeah, it's crazy. But it's still a great looking record. Well, thank you. We're talking mm-hmm. about the Undertow Apple Thens LP. Yeah. Um, so okay, I was I started filming the Edge of Quarrel. I have a lot of trouble figuring out exactly these time frames. I always thought I started it in the fall of '97, but I believe when I actually started filming the Edge of Quarrel was the fall of '98. Sounds right. And that probably sounds more realistic, right? Yep. Because it was released in January of 2000. And it took that long to make it. And Aaron was in the mix and he moved into town in 98 or 90, 97 going on 98. Right. And Aaron was Aaron's a, <clears throat> was a main character. And he yeah. was also part of the reason it took so long to film. We told, talked about this in his podcast because he grew a beard in the middle of filming <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't cut it. <laughs> Can't do that, man. <laughs> to, you know, to be fair, I was asking people to be in a movie for free and not change how <laughs> they looked for months and months and months. So it was difficult. But you didn't have any problem with it? No, nope, I didn't. <laughs> facial hair was not an issue <laughs> at 17. <laughs> were you 17 when you were in the movie? 17 or 18, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just from that point on, you've been a constant. <laughs> Beer grower? <laughs> no, just a constant in my life. Like, you know, oh. you're, you're, you're always there. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So that's that sounds right. Yeah. Old Firehouse. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I think that's the moment that we, we've we interacted and then 
uh, I remember Aaron giving us the news, like Dave wants to put out a Harkonnen record and we were ecstatic and, and then we, I think it's a great record at some point. Yeah. It was I really like it. Fun to make. I remember Aaron, man, Aaron is a, he is a trip. That dude, he's, he's a wild man. He's interesting. He's the East coast personality and just came in out of nowhere and we were just kind of like, okay, yeah, you, you do your thing, wow, you let man. him. You kind of let him take over. Yeah, a little bit. Yep. He got hair extensions. He got hair and extensions. played a show with you guys with the hair extensions. Yeah, that was kind of a that was a, sort of an issue, not an issue with the band, but I remember, we remember picking him up for practice, and he walked out of his apartment, and all of a sudden he had these extension braids. Um, you know, I think at the time like Bloodlet was really big, and like uh, I can't remember the names of some of the other bands, but it was like there was there was a there was a a thing going on and and he he was like and he he wore it well you know he looked the part and everything but it was just really shocking to me and matt this change abrupt change oh yeah (laughs) so he told me he was going to do it Mm -hmm. right and i said i thought he was joking and i i made a joke i i i acted like i was agreeing with him but then made a joke about it you know Mm -hmm. like thinking that this was a bit Mm-hmm. And he got really offended. Oh no! And he was like, "Dude, it's gonna look cool." <laughs> and the thing about it is, is that the idea of him walking around in real life with these braided hair extensions is is very funny to me, and it's crazy. But he's right. He whips his head around, and someone takes a picture while you guys are playing, and it makes a cool looking picture. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but you're doing that's an awful lot of work for a kind of a cool rock show shot yeah i mean that's like you better commit to that that's like a i don't know that's a whole change that's a whole switch up and he had had him for like a month right not even that long um i'm trying to remember if he kept him in we did a a tour that summer down the coast and i can't remember if he had the braids in or not but um i don't think i don't think it was that long i think it was like a month or something like like you're saying yeah someone must have it just it just didn't seem very Seattle. Yeah, I just think it's a small community, you know, and pe- <laughs> people aren't easy to forget that a month ago you had short hair, and I think that it was maybe a little bit hard for some people to take seriously. I uh, I, I really loved it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> That's hilarious. If anybody could pull it off, it's that dude. Well, and I'm, I really, I saw the photo of you guys playing there. I had a photo. It's no longer in my possession. I have looked cause his episode already aired and I want, mm-hmm. you know, so if anyone out there has a photo of Aaron edge playing with the hair extensions oh, in, I've nobody's nose is very interested in <laughs> getting a copy of it from the blog pages of this episode of this, of this podcast. I wonder how he feels about that now. If he wants that under wraps oh, we, or if no, he... we talked about it, we he... talked about, he talked about everything awesome. in, in his episode and it's uh yeah, he seems cool with it all. Cool. He's cool. got a real, you know, Hey, that's what I did. Yeah, totally. Good for him. <laughs> that's how you got to do it. Own it. So now that we know, let's go backwards. Okay. Where are you from? Tacoma. Um, I was born downtown Tacoma and I grew up in Lakewood, just mm-hmm. South of Tacoma. And, um, what year, like when were you born? 1980. 1980. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So you are, you are 10 years younger than me. Okay. Which seems like nothing now. It was a lot in oh, the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. So when I was there 13 at a show, you were 23. You were a grown man. Didn't feel okay. <laughs> Boy, when I look back at it now, I'm like, I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What was I thinking? <laughs> I should have been in school. 
I I hope this isn't an offensive thing to say. I definitely never thought of it as one, but more of like a, a a term of respect. But you were known to us youngins as Grandpa Straight Edge. Does that? <laughs> I don't do you, think anyone ever said that to my face. I no, you were in on that. No, I think. I mean, I've I, I've heard it a couple times. Okay, but never. Like, you know, if I had if I had overheard a conversation where I was referred to that way and then no one said my name to clarify who they were talking about, I would have been like, who are they? Who are they talking about? <laughs> that they, but I also would have been like, they better have been talking about me. <laughs> good, good. It's yeah. I, it's like Grandpa Straight Edge. Like, <laughs> this is this is what's funny about that. I was 23. Yeah. When you were saying that. Yeah. 24 when you were saying that. How's a 24 year old grandpa? Yep. But at the time, dude, everybody a little bit older was something else. It was a baby scene, I guess. I mean, I, I know there's a lot. The scene goes back well before I started to catch wind, you know, brotherhood, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. maybe at some point you felt like you were a new kid on the scene. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but never like I had the benefit of, I think, coming in with guys like Ron and Greg there and also like the refuse guys. Mm. Right. So you'd have like Mark and Murph and those guys like very much younger. At the time, seemingly much, much younger because the difference of three to four years when you're 18 is immense. Absolutely. Now yeah. that's just someone my age, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the time, no. And then Ron and those guys being a couple years older too, the other direction. So it was kind of in the middle. Got like, it. Um, you were the bridge between that older generation. And, and the... prior to coming to Seattle, I was in Bellingham right. and it was skateboarding and punk rock and I had a skateboard shop in Bellingham and yeah. a lot of our clientele were much younger kids and they were coming in and they were into punk rock and getting stuff. So I was used to there being, you know, I didn't feel as much like the young guy Yeah, because I was used to having a lot of younger people around. People were coming to you for things, starting out with skateboard stuff and then eventually records. And Yeah. Once the skateboard shop was closed, mm-hmm. I started the record label. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you. No, it is. Like, <laughs> no, when I was a kid, when I was, you know, coming up and, and getting into music and stuff, it was like my like dream situation. <laughs> the, uh, we would say we'd get a warehouse and we'd have a skate park and like a record store and we'd do shows all in this. Uh, that's what we're going to do all in one spot. Yes. Right. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. They're, it's kind of going on in Tacoma right now <laughs> yeah, with totally. real art. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I think I don't think they have a skate park in there, but yet it'd be awesome. Skiff, are you listening? I haven't been down to check it out yet, but everything I've seen online about it is super cool. It's, it's really exciting. Really well done, and uh, it's um, sounds great, looks great. It's like a totally legit safe place for kids to do their thing, and uh, it doesn't feel like a totally stuffy. Um, rec center kind of vibe it feels it feels like a there's there's energy there and uh and brian skiffington puts a ton of energy and, and effort into it and uh and that dude knows uh how to work so it's it's cool i have a theory about brian skiffington i've never told anyone until this moment oh i believe that brian skiffington is secret twins whoa why? Because he does too many things. <laughs> he does a lot. It's, he... it's, I'm not going to say something crazy, like he's figured out how to clone himself. That would be insane. That would be insane. But the person that we've known as Brian Skivington are actually brothers. And they just take on the role while the other one's working. Because he's working <laughs> he's working this union stuff at the shipyard. And he's, you know, he, he's involved with all that. And he's involved with 
all his bands that he does, and there's tons of them, and he's organizing Rainfest, and he's going on tour, and he's doing real arts. Co- no, this is this is two people. Yeah, that this is there's a, this makes some sense. The, how do you, the, you, the Skiff twins. No, I just made this up right now. You know, you, I know how you can get to the bottom of it. So you need to have a conversation and insert some super unrelated random you know factoid or, or something that's like your little like uh the trick and then the next time you talk to him weeks later maybe a different but what how would you know that you weren't just talking to the same well it's the a 50 twin 50 50 right? yeah so it wouldn't completely disprove if he did know the little factoid so i'd have to bring up the factoid every, every time. time for like 17 times to get past the possibility of always the, of the coin always landing on heads i mean by this time the Skiffington twins must have figured out a go around for this. They have gotten they good report. at the job yeah. of like dodging, like like laughing off a question that they don't understand because <laughs> they don't know. The Skiff twins. The Skiff twins. It's a real thing. Could be. I wouldn't be surprised. It's true. He's everywhere. Ladies nuts. Yeah. So I like that. Um. <laughs> so that's okay. How did we get to there? Uh, real art coma. You were Tacoma. Um, you, I was, I was talking about how I. You were calling me. You were insult. You, you guys were talking to me on my back, calling me Grandpa Straight Edge, <laughs> wondering why that weird guy, old guy, was hanging around. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Hey, man, all ages show. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> exactly. Um. You know, it's funny because over the years that's come up a number of times. Like, so many of my friends are in a range of, you know, a couple years older than me, but just a couple mm-hmm. to fifteen years younger. Right. And it, it kind of matches the um, the different bursts of the way the scene changed over the years. It was like that 93, 94 old firehouse undertow kind of thing that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. And you come forward. And the, the late 90s are just a weird mix and mash of stuff. And then you have this other burst, this early 2000s burst with Champion and right. Stay Gold and those bands. And all the people that came in with that, it's like a whole other group of friends. And they yep. were... So many of them were much younger because I was working with the label with younger people that were putting out, you know, that were doing the kind of music I wanted to release to the record label. For sure. Yeah. So I just, but I have never really had this looking down my nose kind of view. It's like, oh, here's a person and they're cool. And then, you know, someone will be like, yeah, that person's 13 years younger than me. It's like, well, you, but they're an adult that I know who's in the same music scene that I know. I don't know. And and it's, that's so cool because that's. That is the exact opposite of the way I felt coming into that that ninety three ninety four scene, and uh, just because not not that anybody was you know especially mean or unwelcoming, but it it just felt like just it was a little bit of a cold prickly like I got to figure out how I fit into this and like find my spot. But the fact that you're so uh, you just meet people and you're friendly and you know I think that's that's just. I think that works better and is cool. Well, thank you for that. I will say there is a little difference. Mm-hmm. The difference is you were 14. Yeah. When I was in my early 30s, there weren't really any 14-year-olds that I like became for Like, there's maybe one person who was way, way too young to be hanging out with <laughs> us, but that person seemed much older and everybody knew that person. You know what I mean? Like got it, you got get it. one you get one satellite person who just inserts themselves in the mix. But it might have seemed strange, certainly to an outside person looking in, if people had been, hey, thirteen and fourteen year old kids, come hang out with us <laughs> real grown up adults. <laughs> come <laughs> much... to this cavernous rec hall. <laughs> right, right. So it, it yeah. But it does make uh I think more sense for young people who are just figuring out 
how to get to a show like with their older brothers or, or yeah. whatever who are like 13, 14 to get into an all ages show. And then they're interacting with the people in the bands and that can go up into the twenties. That's not too strange. Yeah. Well, the internet is a big difference maker there too. Well, I suppose it's, I don't know if anything's even the same at all now. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know now, but just like if I didn't take along with my brother to those shows, I would have had no way to find out about that stuff. I wouldn't imagine, but yeah, it was, it was more like treasure hunting. Mm -hmm. You had to uncover the secrets. Oh, we drove around. I tagged along with the botch guys to a secret undertow show. I don't remember who else was playing, but it was a, it was at Murph's garage, his parents' house or something. Somewhere up here in Shoreline, I think. Yep. Or Mount Lake Terrace. And, uh, I might have photos. The other power got unplugged during cutting it was away. With, it was with mouth, mouthpiece. Mouthpiece. That's what John it was. John got a little bit hurt. Yeah. There's dog pile. So you're saying you're in that. I was there. So if I have those photos, I'll be able to find <laughs> very young Ben in the crowd. Maybe. Or standing back, just looking mm -hmm. horrified. But We'll see what we can do. We got lost. This is what I was saying. We tried to treasure hunt oh, that what, show. Oh, what, trying to find Murph's parents' house? <laughs> yeah. Like, that was not... I, I would have trouble trying to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. It was... But you still made it. We made it. Yeah. How did you make it? You had no cell phones to call anyone to check. No, we just drove around until we found a bunch of... Uh, Kids with uh, earrings and baggy pants. Oh, you could really see them. Baggy pants. You could see them from the main road. Milling out in the lawn, yeah. And so we showed up and awkwardly, um, you know, walked up with like five or six of us and into this yard where everybody knows each other. They're all buddies, and we didn't really know anybody. Um, and just kind of like gingerly, like found our little pod and like you know talked amongst ourselves. And that's the botch guys and me tagging along with them, you know. So I'm really worried about <laughs> making them any less cool than they might already <laughs> feel like cuz they're new too. Well, it's super cool that they brought you. Yeah, yeah. Dude. I'm sure they love that. No, I think it was like it might have been one of those like power play things like I want to go too, mom, you know, and she's, take your brother. <laughs> if you, you don't know? take your brother, you can't go. Yes. And the mom's like, I get rid of both of them. Yeah, yes. that's probably what was really going on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. And I love, I love what you just said. I love we're lost. We're driving around. No cell phones, no internet. We knew that we were in the right spot when we saw people that looked like what we expected mm -hmm. to be looking for mm -hmm. earrings and baggy pants. Cause you can, that's not a thing now. Nope. It's not quite the same, is it? Too many people, like one, you're going to, you're going to know where to go. But on top of that, if you didn't have any of those things, you couldn't just drive around and look for a group of weirdos. Cause there's groups of weirdos everywhere. And I don't even know. I mean, back then it was such a totally, um, like the skater looking kids, you know, like it was a totally distinct thing. Nowadays, I, I don't even know what it's like in, in like the, like the punk straight edge teenage community. Is, is that a thing? now or is it because in my impression being sort of removed is that it seems like like you said there was like that uh, early 2000s champion etc cetera, etc cetera, and that was kind of like a big like resurgence of of that kind mm -hmm. of like straight edge punk rock thing and then since then my impression is that it's sort of a thing that's dwindled over the past five ten years there, there are See, because I'm in a little bit in the boat that you're in because i'm not out as much mm -hmm. i'm i am positive that we could have a couple of guys here who were big into what was happening five years ago. Totally. That would be like, who the hell are you? I mean, Rainfest started in that period of time, yeah. right? Rainfest starts the year after Champion breaks up. So that's huge. Well, and, 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 and React Records and mm -hmm. like other things that have happened. That, but it's, it's a, the scenes are more, I don't know if insular is the right word. Like 
there's not a lot of crossover of the sounds of the scenes too. Right. So it's like, it's that thing. We have enough of our own. Yeah. But you don't, you don't have enough of your no. own. No, <laughs> what a mistake. What a mis- and and you know, I, that was a crazy thing because I even like comparing like the bands that I started out getting real excited about undertow and um, even the trial. I mean, trial, I guess was more of kind of like a, you know, like a fast, um, like what you would think of when you think of a straight edge hardcore band, but undertow kind of had that like sort of heavy kind of brooding, like early nineties swagger that like all the uh, unbroken and um, you know, the kind of heavier like tinged with metal sort of, you know, uh, refused and um, a resurrection. I mean, apologies. Thank you. I was just about to say, how do I break in and say, I don't think refused. I no. think refused comes no, 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 much no. later. No, 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 no. <laughs> Got my got my wires crossed. <laughs> resurrection, but, yeah. Yeah, resurrection. Like those kind of heavy, like weirder bands. And then from there, it seemed like it got even weirder. Like you put out that one of my favorite comps, that seven inch, that brewing comp. Oh, thank you. The uh, the Jodon Baker and I want to say Slow, Slow Side, Side Down, Down and Nine Iron and Botch, right? Yep. That's an amazing record, and that was totally like a picture of what I thought. That like, oh, cool, this is where it's going, and it was like this. Well, that's why I called it brewing. Totally. Because it was something's brewing, something, and and at the time I was looking for what was going to bring the scene back to what we had, kind of. Because it was like, slow. What is going to be? Th- it was slow, and that it was it, and wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I don't in know. some ways it was. You know, I mean, Botch definitely kept going and kept be- and actually became a thing that left a mark. After they broke up, more so than when they were around yeah, towards those, the end. Yeah, but... those last shows were were something. Yes, absolutely. Um. But I did not realize that what was what was really going to happen was basically that Northwest hardcore board, new young teenage kids coming up, and the shows at at the uh, uh, Paradox mm-hmm. in the University Avenue, yep. and that whole scene that ended up be- being Champion Stay Gold, and out of that came the Answer, and out of that came all these other bands, and I mean a lot of stuff, and Left with Nothing, and and, and yeah. Hamster starts getting bigger, but that that ended up being a much more solid, rooted group of people that even though they didn't all get along and sometimes didn't even know each other, um, like a lot of touring bands were coming in and the connections were being made again. Like it, that was the first time it really felt like that 94, 95 time. My, yeah, it it seemed like, but there was a weird thing that happened right before that happened where the people that were left from the original hardcore scene felt a little bit like who's usurping our thing. Oh, and I had a I had a, a conversation once where some people like I didn't name any names, but someone was like, "Who the hell are these kids? Have you seen this Northwest Hardcore board?" I'm a poster on the Northwest Hardcore right. board at this point, <laughs> and I know all the people that are they're doing it right. Yeah. I've, I'm like I'm starting to work with the record label with some of them and stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, who do they think they are? They think they just they just walk in and call themselves Northwest Hardcore." And here and we was, go again. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, they are actually the the Northwest Hardcore right, scene." Right. And I was with the wrong people to have said that because I basically oh. was the only person there. Everybody was like, "No, they're not." I'm like, oh. well, do, you don't even know them. Like, what, See? they put on they put on all ages hardcore shows. Right. They're in, doing in the garages. Thing. Yeah. And they're you know they're yes a lot of the bands that our friends are in that now that they're getting into their thirties or getting up towards it playing bars or still playing all these shows, but it's much more established. These are the, the nitty gritty, like totally doing it from nothing. Um, and pretty much that was just the, tr- like if it hadn't been true when I said it, it was true. Like within a few months yeah. because that just became what was going on. It blew you know? up. Well, what's weird about that is, I mean, I, like the, the, the board I'm sure had a lot to do with the, 
sudden cohesiveness of like a scene and people able to kind of feed off each other. And, but it's weird, you know, I think about that late nineties scene around like the time that brewing comp came out and whatnot. And, and that was, that was, it grabbed my attention more musically and just it, that it was like something new and different and weirder. And, and it was just like, what these, none of these bands quite sound the same as yeah. each other. You couldn't even pick them out to be kind of in the same world, but it's it, musically cool. It's harder to build a cohesive thing. Well, that's around what it. I was gonna say. Yeah. So, like the the comp, the or the the board, the um the the message board, and all the internet stuff that helps kind of glue things together. But the other thing is like you were talking about with that wave. There's like Champion and Stay Gold and and all those bands that pretty a lot more directly harken back to like like the late '80s sort of New York uh, revelation mm-hmm. kind of fast, like very identifiable straight edge hardcore thing which has a total look and a total like the records have the same kind of fonts and the same sort of like like the pictures and it's like you can look at it and you can say i don't know if this came out then or and and everybody they see it they immediately know what it is they know that they identify with it and that makes the scene glue together really well but what kind of made somebody like myself feel like i am I'm not involved in that is because it was like the band and like these bands that I thought were like, not that they abandoned, but there was these bands that I was like, these bands are trying this weird stuff and nobody cares to go to their shows because yeah they don't, they're not dressed the part. They don't sound the part. And why you know, it's like, you don't know how to dance to this. We don't know like, how to like, it's like, this is a very simple flag and we understand what yeah. this flag stands for. And this is a very complicated series of flags and we don't know what all those symbols yeah. mean. What do I do with that? I'm going to go to the, you know, well, and it's it hearkens to bad aspects of human nature and good aspects of totally. human nature. Absolutely. I mean, it's there's great things that come with a unified scene like that, but that's the same way you get a Nazi party. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, any time you get people that like, yeah, it's like it's like you're saying like that sort of sense of community. You know, the thing that that makes it easy is for people to tour around the entire country or the world. And you can pick out the people that you kind of, you know, right away that you have something in common with. Um, and that's a totally useful tool for, for a community to use to function. And that part's totally positive and totally good. But the expense of that seems to me like it's the uh, kind of, ugh, this is going to be, I don't mean for this to be insulting, but. No, no, it, just, you got to say how you feel, man. It just, just maybe the honesty and the like uh, sincerity of the art that you're putting forward because it is these are artists these are these are young kids you know getting shit off their chest and and being pissed off and having you know things they want to say and things they want and just when it has when they feel like it has to fit into this kind of a little bit more of a narrow cookie cutter kind of a mold that it, while it's a great one but you know, a, it, it never stays that way though what do you mean i mean the next record sounds different and then and then they try something you know what i mean nothing ever Everyone always complains that complains that bands change their sound and that, you know, oh, and like, those are the best records. Everybody talks <laughs> a shit. lot of times. Like, sometimes they are. Oh man. Like a perfect example. I was just thinking about this, um, into another, you know, that <laughs> everybody hated that band. They always want to talk shit on that band. Cause there's like dude from underdog and the guy from bold and all these fast, you know, straight edgy punk bands. <laughs> but what a fucking weird, crazy record. Like that into another stuff doesn't sound like anything. It's like got a little bit of metal, but it's like melodic and like psychedelic. And it's just like, I just like, I like those records. Are you probably a big Iceburn fan? Fuck yeah. 
Engine Kid, oh, Ice Burn, yeah. oh, yes, man. Uh, Orange Nine Millimeter, and uh, you know, uh, Quicksand is a super that was popular awesome. one. But there you go. Yep, you're wearing your T-shirt. I always wear this T-shirt. <laughs> but you know, it's like I was like there's that community that glued all these kids together so that they could like have a community to play for each other, to learn how to play their instruments and get all inspired. And then once they kind of do that for a while, then they, they're kind of real individual personalities come out and they do these weird bands yeah. and everybody goes, Oh, you just get that on the scene. You but know? <laughs> you see, that's okay. It, that's all part of the, the natural process. Totally. So what always frustrated me was when older people would think that because they had already completed to a certain level that all the younger people should have uh, should understand the experience that they'd already had. Right. So I like the young band being simple mm-hmm. and them having their dumb ideas that oftentimes creates amazing music. Absolutely. And even if it's not good music, it is earnest. Totally. That's absolutely true. And then they go on that path. So what I always think it's easy, I think it should be easier for older people to remember where they were and what they were like and look back and go, that's awesome, which isn't always what happens. Usually people look down and they have, they feel, it makes them feel in a negative way for some reason. Then it is for younger people to understand what their experience is going to be and where they're going to be. They have to learn those lessons through the blood and pain and tears and joy. And what better place to start than surrounded by a bunch of people who are all kind of in the same boat as you everybody's inspired by the same bunch of music and and the thing is like you can watch two of those bands that might have a real similar uh sound and look but you can pick out the one that like oh those guys are fucking angry and they absolutely mean it and like and you're just like that band's great and like the the other band like maybe not so much or they will be they're still figuring it out but like there's there's totally well some and you'll see a you'll see this burgeoning personality where you're like that person is going to do great things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not happening now, but it's coming. Yeah. And it's nice when that pays off and you're right, you know, and then they go on to do awesome stuff. Or sometimes you later figure out like, I thought that that was this kind of simple thing, but listening back to it now, like, Oh, that's a really fucking crazy weird record. Like it's really pissed off and, and sincere and, and, and not like, you know, like for example, if I, if I was to see a band walk on stage and, and there's like cargo pants and, uh, you know, they're X'd up and they have, uh, you know, the earrings or whatever. They look the part to the, I might kind of start thinking like, Hmm, I don't know. I, I know what this is going to sound like. I know what this is going to feel like. And then they start playing and you're like, Holy shit, this is really inspiring and amazing. And so it's just like on either side of it, you can't let your expectations, your preconceptions. Yeah. And there's more to it than the way you just described it mm-hmm. because you can see a band that plays and the crowd's going crazy and they're singing along, they're jumping up to grab the mic and the band is feeding off the energy of the yeah. crowd. And those simple songs become way greater than oh, yeah. the sum of their parts. Totally. You could see that same band play to a crowd that stands and watches and <laughs> no one moves because they don't know the songs. That band could have the equal amount of talent yeah, and it will sound like it's awful. Absolutely. So it's, it's more than just what the, you know, the band is playing. The crowd and the energy of, of a, of a hardcore show is is the hardcore show that's i mean that's what it is i mean and that's not you can listen to records that are great and and not you don't have to have the crowd there to kind of put yourself in that spot especially somebody like that at both ends record undertow that record to me is just like it's just perfect it's like a perfect straight edge hardcore record it they were something else yeah really ron's been posting all these photographs of them from back in the day ron gardip he has Yeah, yeah yeah 
that's been fun. It's and been it's been fun awesome. locating some of the some of the spots where the photos were taken. And t- like, cause there's some sleuthing that's had to be done a little bit. All that's from before my time. It's like, and it's, it's a trip to see those guys <laughs> younger. And cause to me, they were just like these like heroes of punk rock. I was like, Oh, these guys, <laughs> those guys are fucking... all right. So this has been great and I've enjoyed this, but we, we didn't go back far enough. Oh, okay. No, we got to go further. Okay. That I wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to stop the conversation, <laughs> but no, no, no. I want to know about what you were like as a little kid. Whoa. Um, you grew up in Tacoma all your life? Yep. Yeah, I lived in the same place down in South Tacoma. In Lakewood? Lakewood, all the way up from age three all the way until um, until I was about 20. Okay. Was it like a was it like a rural setting? Were you outside of town? It was the burbs. Um, it was the burbs. Did you have um, fields and woods to play in and get yes. hurt? Or did you have streets to ride bikes in? Both. You had both? Yeah. We had, um, there was the pit. And the pit was... Like a, um, so this is near Fort Lewis and, uh, and, uh, Fort Stilcom Park mm-hmm. down where the mental hospital is down in Lakewood. And back when that was a military installation, they had a road from the park that went down to this gravel quarry where they would come up with the rock that they used to build their fortifications and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So the pit was like this empty, vacant, sketchy lot. It was right around the corner from where our house was. And so that was kind of like where all the, that was your spot. Yeah, we had a lot of tree forts and um, dangerous rope swings. Dangerous rope swings and more dangerous older kids and uh, you know fights and like just just sketchy. Oh, was scary. that an, was that a place where you'd have like an apocalyptic rock fight? Um, it's the place I would run away from the kids having the apocalyptic <laughs> rock fight. Yeah, yeah, it was like. Was there um? So it's a quarry. Was it full of water? Was it like breaking away? No, it was um, it was on a bluff overlooking Chambers Creek. So it was kind of like this weird. It was just like a gravel pit. Right. Right? What else to call it? Yeah, it was lots of opportunities to get hurt. Tons. Did you get yeah. hurt? Yeah, man. What's uh, the worst injury you received in in the pit? Um, oh god, this is really embarrassing and terrible. But so there's a trail went from the pit down to the Chambers Creek, and um, you know, sometimes when you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> Sometimes it's not number one, sometimes it's number two, and sometimes the closest thing to toilet paper you can find in the pit is a leaf that might end up being stinging nettles. I, you wiped with stinging nettles. You learn the hard way sometimes. Um, that's probably the worst injury happened down well, there. That's, that's not at all what I was expecting. Yeah, but I know, I know but is this... <laughs> the problem too, is that your, your, the pads of your fingers don't get stung by stinging nettles to any of you kids that never played outside. Um, <laughs> you get stung on the backside of your hand or on your arms or, or any other. Yeah. Or, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. So you were able to get a full like a application. I learned, I learned well, <laughs> learned, learned to fear. <laughs> um, Beyond that, I think it was just getting beat up a little bit, just like, like bigger kids. Like you just, you we, actually got beat up by bigger kids you didn't know. Yeah, there were some mean kids in our neighborhood. No, what I, this is important. Mm-hmm. Pushed down or punched? Punched. Like bloody nose, knocked down. Uh, go home and cry to your mom. What? A little bit of that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know, um, just like older kids, tough kids. Um, you know, we grew up around. So like, how how old? So give me an example. If you're 
eight years old yeah. were you allowed to go out by yourself yeah down the street i mean this place was just down the street but it was like don't be down the gravel pit after dark kind of thing okay so let's say it's four in the afternoon in, uh-huh. the, in the summer yeah and you go wandering down the gravel pit with what a neighborhood friend yep one yeah one or two okay yeah and you go down there and you're eight and there's older kids how old are those kids really you know probably 10 12 or 12 but they got a foot on you they've you know? got oh yeah but and at the time they seemed like scary monsters but if we looked back on it, they would just be like funny little kids, right? I'll never forget what one of them said. He was like, they just kind of cornered me and a, and a buddy once. The, the, There's some older kids down there and they were drinking and messing around with girls. And Okay, so they're like 16? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe 12, <laughs> maybe 13. <laughs> right. It was wild. Tacoma. Tacoma. <laughs> and, uh, and they were just like, hey, kid, you know, and it, he just, they totally like froze me. Like they cornered us and he was like, you're extinct. He said, you're extinct. I didn't know what that word meant at all. I was a little kid, you know, I was like eight or nine or something. And I, and I was like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what did it mean? I don't know, but it was horrifying. It was so scary. And it was, that, kinda, that, that yeah. wasn't a fight there. He didn't, but it was just like it was a, a threat. It was a moating. I, I got moated and it was just totally. <laughs> Wait, uh, <laughs> moat, M-O-T-E? Yeah. yeah like demoted. Oh, you know, <laughs> moated. And I was just like. You know, and then like those things, they walk away and then your buddy's like, man, you just let that guy talk shit to you or something, you know, like that. Well, yeah, because we're going <laughs> to yeah. go up against the, the big kids. Well, yeah, and he didn't say anything when they were there. You know, it's one of those kind of things. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's like in super bad when dude spits on. Yes, on yes, exactly. He's like, thanks for backing me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what am I going to do? Totally. Okay, so that's, I like that. I, uh. I'm glad you enjoy that. No, that's because I don't, I don't know. And I, I could be completely wrong, but I just feel like kids aren't having those experiences now. I, yeah. I mean like, you know, there's like a lot of people are, you know, there's the whole anti-bully thing, which is, which is good. Oh, and I, I'm not like, I'm, I understand that, but like, I don't know if the kids are having the go, you get to go play in the gravel pit, the dangerous gravel pit where you might wipe with nettles or you might fall in the (laughs) Creek or you might get hit in the face of the rock with some Uh jerk kid when you're eight years old. Yeah. Or when you're 10 years old. I, th- I think that that's that's an old school thing. Are there a lot of places like that around still? I mean, actually driving out here, I was coming no. down the road and I saw what looked like a big forest across Meridian there. And I was like, oh, is that that kind of place? Is that like a weird... I love it because I spot stuff like that too. I know. I think that's just, the, that's just like a tree belt surrounding uh-huh. like a housing area in there. Yeah. And there's, a, there's some kind of graveyard back in there too. Somewhere in there, there's a weird tree for it. There, Somebody's got to oh, be. Oh there. yeah. There's got to be, you yeah. know? And there's... But... All we have to do, look, we've been living in the city for a long time, right? All I do is just go a little ways out of town mm-hmm. and it's rural again. Oh, yeah. And totally. I assume those kids are still growing up rural. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I was I was going hunting and fishing when I was a little kid. I was Whoa. shooting guns and stuff. like The ham. Up the, in the ham. <laughs> we, were, we were outside the ham. You were so, in the county. Outside of Bellingham. We were in the county. So, But I mean, it can't be that much different than what Probably you're, you're describing with Lakewood. I've been to Lakewood. That place is yeah. sketchy. It's a little sketchy. Yeah, I just there's like all these tough kids that were like military kids from they'd been they're worldly. They'd been around. Yeah. And they were they were new in town, so they were they weren't gonna take any shit from anybody and I was I was gonna take shit from these tough kids. <laughs> you know, that probably actually when I think about it probably plays into my like how freaked out I was getting into like you know, going to like the first punk shows I went to and just sure. like you know What was the first fight you were in? Whoa, probably with my brother. <laughs> okay, yeah. it doesn't count. Yeah, okay. Right. Everybody in a family fights with their family. What was the first fight that you encountered with someone you did not know? This is 
incredibly embarrassing and kind of stu- that, that, stupid. That, but... that makes for a podcast. Okay, now. all right. <laughs> but it, it was super, super messed up and and also totally embarrassing and laughable probably to anybody who's really come up tough. But um, so, you know, this is like I'm coming up, getting out of sixth grade, going into junior high school, and it's like 1992, 93, and, you know, NWA is big and, uh, you know, all the gang stuff is going on, Crips Bloods, and it's, you know, Colors is a famous movie and all this stuff's happening. And, and all the kids, you know, totally identify with this. There's like, you have the two factions. You've got, you know, the rockers and, and like the rapper kids who are all into, you know, NWA and all that stuff, Ice Cube and whatnot. And um, the kids that were my buddies from playing football in the street and, um, tree forts and all that stuff, they kind of ended up gravitating towards the hip hop world of, you know, just rap world at the time, you know, and whatever. And they had all those records and, and I got into it and, uh, and, you know, Dave was kind of going a different direction. He was like, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm throwing him under the bus, but he, uh, he, he delved into the, like, you know, red hot chili peppers and the grunge stuff. And, and he had, uh, the Glenn Plake haircut where he shaved the sides of his hair and he had kind of this temporary Mohawkish kind of thing, skier Mohawk thing. And, and who is this? My brother Dave Varela. No, I know it's your brother Dave, <laughs> but what's the, who was the person whose haircut it was? Uh, Glenn Plake. I remember uh, being the name of, I think that's right. Okay. His, because Dave had posters. And uh, what, and what, what is he? He's a famous skier. Famous skier. But that's he, why I don't know the name. But okay. he's like the punk rock skier with the mohawk before <laughs> snowboarding culture. He was like that kind of like bad boy rebel sure, skier. Sure. So that was Dave's thing, rock music, that world. And I was kind of like, we're listening to NWA and in my buddy's uh, house when his mom, she was kind of an alcoholic and wasn't around. And so we would sort of just like have run of the place and. And it, this house ended up also being the place where all the gangster kids who were real gangster kids who were selling drugs and uh, getting into real fights and had guns and shit, they would come and kick it at this, my best friend, this kid, Eric Amstutz, his his mom's house. That was like the, the pad. But this is a house. And so this is where, where kids from the neighborhood and real gangster kids yes. are mixing. Yeah, because our neighborhood is the Burbs and it's right along a, a golf course to mm-hmm. put the like, you know, the, the socioeconomic... Uh, perspective on it it was like that's the the sort of uh world that i grew up in it was a, our house was on a golf course right um so there was that but then there was also on the way out of the neighborhood all the apartment complexes that was low-income housing where a lot of the um you know like just lower income like military families were living and that was where the real tough kids so you've got the real tough kids and then you've got all the burbs kids that want to impress the real tough kids and those burbs kids are way scarier than the yeah. kids and oh, oh and the yeah so so, the, my, so the, the wannabes the will wannabes. do more to try to prove it oh man they're frightening yeah there was like yeah there's a couple cool kids who moved from georgia or whatever and they were actually you get talking to them and they're into music and they're into skating or whatever cool shit and then there was some punk from the birds like and some you know pissed at his mom or whatever and he'd just go out and kick the shit out of somebody to impress that kid from Georgia or whatever. And like, it's really embarrassed. It's just like, it embarrass himself. And, uh, and then he'd be even more pissed off. There was just a couple kids. Uh, they were like, they were way scarier to us than those kids from out of town. But so we would kind of run away from those kids. But then, uh, then we started to like hang out with them and they kind of were like, okay, 
we're like actually formula like uh formally starting this click yeah well you're getting older together well like it was like a gang like a click they called it the nine five click and yeah. we're and they sort of kind of got um there must have been some kid who was one of the like the liquid liquid hustlers was the kind of crip gang in tacoma or in lakewood and they uh i think they were kind of like why don't you guys start your own click like sell drugs over here and like I don't really, I mean, I can't tell how much of it was like these Burbs kids fantasy that was nonsense and how much of it was actually. Cause everyone was, everyone had a story and then you're lying. Nuh-uh, I'm telling yeah, the truth. Yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Total, total nonsense. So, but sometimes you would see drugs. Totally. You would see guns. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 12. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, then this weird like sex shit. But just that, that was the scene. It was like this, like, kind of like flop pad in the middle of the really nice burbs where um, just like nobody was kind of looking after things. It was kind of this place was falling apart. Right. And it was really decrepit. So stuff would get out of hand. Yeah, things got out of hand. And like, anyway, so like this gang started kicking it there. My best friend's house. And uh, they actually one day were like, okay, we're, we're jumping people into the 9-5 click. <sighs> and I remember I was home and... My best friends, Eric Powell and Eric Amstutz, came over, knocked on the door, and opened the door, and they both had black eyes and were all bludgeoned. And they were, I was like, holy shit, what happened to you guys? And they are like, we just got put on. Do you want to get put on? <sighs> and, you know, I mean, this sounds absurd. I'm like a, I'm a white kid from the Burbs who, you know, I, I was just kind of on the periphery yeah, yeah. of some real shit. But the whole culture was, it was like so interesting and infectious that I was like, and my best friends were getting put on. Did you, know? you go? I did. Yeah. So I went and I had no idea about any of this. I don't really talk about it too much. It's, it's a very embarrassing thing that happened. But uh, so I um I went to Eric Amstead's house in the backyard. That sure enough, there was like twenty kids back there drinking, and like you know, some of them were in junior high, which is where I was headed. Some of them, <laughs> some of them were in high school, and some of them were in college age. Wow. They're like grown ass adults, and. So they're like, all right. Very much different than the way I was as, as that age. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. But probably some sort of strange parallel. I mean, they were putting you into their world. They're, yeah. I mean, well, so plot thickens. So <laughs> they um, so they, they were like, all right, we're going to put you on. They had a deal where it was like, you know, we're going to whip your ass for five minutes. And the clock will start and you just defend yourself. And, you know, it was like... That's a long time. Yeah, it was it was, it was bad. But it was like, there was like a, a policy of we're not going to punch you in the face because that's how you'll get questions asked and this will all blow up. So they beat the shit out of me. It was like, it was, I mean, I'd, you know... Were you fighting back? Yeah, I had to, whatever, you know. It was like, show you got heart, you know, all that shit. It was right out of fucking oh, colors. You oh, know? my To most God. of these kids, it was like living oh, this life. Oh, tell me that someone said, oh, you fucked up, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody said that. No, what? God, yeah, but it missed was, opportunity. They did, yeah, no, no, yeah, no class. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, so they 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 beat us up, and then we were in the gang, and you know we were drinking, you know Mickey's twenty twos, and we were like, you know whatever the fuck, we're gonna get you laid, and all this crazy stuff. I'm like, oh, I guess what does that mean? Okay, oh, so yeah, you're doing gonna... this at thirteen? Yeah, we were like twelve, thirteen. How yeah. long did this go on? Um. Well, it's interesting. So this, I think the reason that the guys wanted to get jumped into this gang was because we were about to go into junior high school and junior high school was a whole different place. It was like uh. where people were getting their asses kicked every day at school. And it was like, you needed to have back was what they call it. You got to have some back. Who's going to have your back. And so we were like, well, let's get put on. And, uh, and so we'll be, we'll be a nine five click and 
we'll be we'll be cool getting into school so so that was like august before seventh grade started junior high and then upon getting into school you know quickly realized that just because you got put on nine five click you're not tough and you're not big and there are tougher <laughs> scarier kids than you or like most of your friends and but you know whatever played the part and then about two weeks into school some decision was made by some of the kids in nine five click that they were like we got to jump out all these kids because they're gonna like get high and go home and like screw up and tell their parents so it's it's a risk it's a liability you got to jump them out they wanted to jump <laughs> us out yeah oh so yeah. they were they decided now they needed to ditch you even though they brought you in yeah they didn't trust me you know whatever <sighs> which is you know i mean i i would I mean, look at me i wasn't you know i wasn't i wasn't tough whatever um so they were like we're gonna we're gonna jump you out the word got back to me and i was like fuck that there's no fucking way i'm getting my ass kicked again that was fucking terrible yeah and uh so I spent the entirety of seventh grade eating lunch in the hallway, ducking into little alcoves. And uh, and after school, I'd have to run home to beat the bus because they were all on the bus. And if they got there <laughs> oh, before no. I did, they were waiting. And for an entire... And so so the, and you, you were like a checkbox on their list they hadn't checked off yet? All the way until high school, somebody finally approached me and was like, we're cool. I mean, like they weren't after me after that first year, but for the first but year... Just, just so... I want to get my head around the reasoning a little bit. Yeah. The idea would be if they beat you up again for five minutes, that there would not be a problem, that you wouldn't know what you knew. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I think, you know, and, and that's the thing is when you, <laughs> I think when it comes down to it, they were like, let's just beat the shit out of some kids. and It'll be fun. Let's beat the shit out of them again. It'll be fun. You know? So it was like. That was a brief little gang career you had. And the other kids in, involved, you know, one of them ended up holding up a teacher at school that next year, and he ended up having this big police standoff, and another kid got shot selling dope at uh, the elementary school in the neighborhood. I mean, it was like, it was like, it, it sounds like a joke, and it was- Was he it, selling dope to elementary children, or selling dope to someone else on the elementary school grounds? Yeah, it was the second, yeah, uh, the latter. Okay. I mean, it's it's a stu- I mean, the whole thing is, is a fucking joke, period. I mean- but it's a joke with some real life, real world consequences. Some real shit mm-hmm. happened. So it was like, it's nothing that's like, you know, oh, that's tough, man. You did that. Like, it's, no, it's, it's just what happened. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's totally stupid. Um, but like, I had to wait for an entire year. This stuff year. is all important, though, because it becomes, it's part of the story of how you become the guy that I met. Well, because here's the way out. The way out is like, you know, at this point, my brother, he knows what's going on. Him and his buddies are all having a good laugh. Like, Did they go through the same thing? No. No, they were on this other trip. Oh, they because were... the, the hip-hop thing hadn't happened. When well, they were... How much older is your brother than you? He's like two years. Oh, okay. It's not that much. I mean, he was in there. He was... All this was happening, you know, parallel. Like, yeah. he, he just went the other way. He was just okay. like... I'm, he got into... Started singing a botch and playing with those guys right. and doing that whole thing while I was finding my way out of this you know this thing and uh so they were kind of like i was the butt of a joke you know to dave and the buddies it was like ben oh he's like this little like wannabe gangster kid and uh which is yeah well i was you know it was totally laughable and um and but so it was like but my the way out to me was like okay these guys i want to kick my ass they don't want to be my friend anymore so i lost my friends and i was kind of like headhunted so that was a drag and i was kind of like well make some new friends and that's about time i met matt from uh from Harkonnen and he was 
he also was kind of one of the rocker kids. He walked around with the Rage Against Machine t-shirt on and, and kind of had a laugh at me at my expense. Like, it was one of these wannabe gangster kids. But I kind of, like, stopped kind of playing the part and had, like, this sort of transition moment in seventh grade and started hanging around some of the skater kids, kind of came across an old beat-up skateboard and started trying to do that. And Oh, this is... Okay, so you got into skateboarding. Yeah. yeah. And that was part of the way out of the gang stuff? Yeah. Hey, I have a question I have yeah. to ask. The gang stuff happened when you were in the sixth grade going into the seventh grade. That's right. What did your parents know about what was going on with you? Um. So things I can remember is... This is also really embarrassing. In sixth grade, I got caught <laughs> playing craps on the playground. And when the teacher tried to take my dice away, I apparently said something really terrible to her. Like something like maybe what Johnson, the character <laughs> from Edgar <laughs> Quarrel, would say. Some ridiculous, not threatening, but just like, God, what a little asshole thing. Something you heard in a rap song? Something I heard in a rap song, yeah. <laughs> and uh, And I got... So, you know, sent to the office and they wrote up a note and, and my dad knew about that and he was furious and he's a scary human So you're being. shooting dice shooting on the dice. playground. Yeah, totally. In grade school. Sixth grade, yeah. The duty, I'm assuming, found you. Was this the person who was... My, my sixth grade teacher, actually. Oh, okay. They were, it wasn't just the person who was watching over, like, recess? No, I think it was, like, before class in line getting ready to go in, you know? Right. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I was... I didn't expect to get in. I thought we were just going to talk about straight edge or something. I don't know. Oh, no, no. See, mm. I asked if you'd listen to the shows, to the, the <laughs> podcast very much before we started. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So, um, so that was, yeah, it was, the, the, skateboarding was like something I could do by myself. I could do it, you know, it was like a switch and the kind of like just found a couple of weird curbs and just did that by myself. No, and, I gotcha. I need to know, yeah. um, I need to know what your first board was. It was, I want to say it was Danny Way model, and it was like, the the graphic was like a, look like a chalk layout of a dead person kind of thing. Okay. It was a slick, yeah. No, no, I don't know, because I, honestly, the difference between skateboarding, when I had the skateboard shop when I was really into uh-huh. it, the late 80s, uh-huh. to the time you're talking about, which is going to be what, 92? Tiny Wheels. Tiny, tiny wheel skinny board? Yeah, tiny I, wheel skinny board. What, what is that? I don't know. What that, that's, that's a freestyle board. Flip tricks. I, yeah. yeah. I lost it. So, but it's important though. And I don't know if it's, if it's as important. I got to know what the, what the board is and how you got it. Um, the board I got was, I think Dave had a girlfriend who skated and she kind of just left it. It was sort of abandoned. I found it in the garage and kind of just commandeered it. Oh, yeah. You took a you took a board over. I took a board over. You didn't with, have to go buy it. I mean, it always had to find its way back to the house. I think Dave was like, you know, he he was, that's, <laughs> that's not yours, you know. He made a point to make sure I knew. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was. So you were skating by yourself. Skate by myself. Hitting the curb. Hitting the curb. Grind grinding the trucks and uh, board slides. Could you do that stuff? Uh, I could do like nose slides. I could do little grinds. Bringing um, this board back, but it's damaged. It, it Every was, time. It, it was fucked up to begin with. It had flat spots and everything. It was, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, those tiny wheels were terrible for our street. It was all beat up. And my, I just skate down the street and trying to all over a manhole over and over again. That was kind of my thing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but then Matt Howard was into skating too. So we would skate, you know, under toe on our headphones. Oh, and... wait. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. You're listening to rap. Yeah. I get where you were finding that music. Were you getting punk rock music from your brother? Yeah, uh, I was stealing, uh, he'd comp tapes together 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was kind of stealing them from him and making copies on my boom box. So I had copies. You had a, you had a boom box with, with the two dual yes, cassette. Exactly. And so you were running, so his was copied. So you were getting a third generation or so it sounded something like this. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty much like that. Well, okay. That's, what was the first punk rock thing that you heard? Botch. Your brother's band. I mean, aside from like, you know, whatever, if you want to describe some of the things on mainstream TV, but as far as like underground punk stuff, yeah. No, I mean, I'm talking about the first thing that was not just rock and roll, like a regular radio rock and roll. Although I guess it's, it's a weird question to ask though, because we're talking about Lollapalooza has been happening for a few years at this point, right? Yeah, but in my mind, you know, that's... I'm not making a big distinction between honestly Aerosmith and like uh you know uh, Green Day. To me, it's, at the time, it's just like it's all because I don't have the context of it. You know what yeah. it was. But well, I like I mean I like the answer, Botch. I mean that's really cool. But it's it just it's so strange because I would have thought like I mean Green Day is a perfectly acceptable answer. You mm-hmm. know, for something that leads because it, it's it's still getting into punk rock and hardcore even at that time was so you didn't get into. Lollapalooza punk rock. You got into hardcore. Dave did. Dave got into that stuff. He probably went and saw, you know, seaweed show. Yeah. Because that was sort of coming down from the like. He's probably heard about Nirvana, whatever, and, mm-hmm. and then found his way to the sub pop catalog to seaweed. Went and saw seaweed with like Spark Marker and Undertow. I want to say like that's a real show that might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then that's when they went full force into Undertow. So they he got caught by that bug. Yeah. And, and then, you. And then he started, based- a, he started a band, yeah. recorded a demo, which I kidnapped and was like, this is so cool. My brother's in a band. And so you were literally just stealing all his shit. Yeah, pretty much. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's that, you're talking about the infamous demo with the, with a song, the little engine that couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I got one of those around here somewhere. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, hold on. Wound, no, not there. Wound me. Wound. Wounded. Is it? <laughs> yeah. But that's fantastic. Okay, so that I mean, and that makes sense. Getting stuff off your older brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, my older brother turned me on to all kinds of rock and roll and stuff. And I heard Van Halen for the first time from him and stuff like that. Sticks, like all <laughs> kinds of weird old stuff in the seventies. So okay, pretty much everything I got into all the way up through high school was kidnapped from Dave or or Dave being like, "You should check this out." Pretty much everything. So was he making sure that you were getting it, or was he was he just leaving it where you could steal it? I was originally breaking into his room and stealing stuff, borrowing stuff and making copies and kind of doing a guerrilla style. And then You stole the skateboard. You stole yeah. the music. My brother was cool, man. You got, you got, you got kicked out of trying to steal an entire other culture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure did. God damn it. So, um, but it led you. It's all, it was all the building blocks that led you, you know, mm-hmm. to us. <laughs> okay. What other things do I usually need to know about people's young lives? This, this, I think there's a, there's a story here that kind of, that definitely kind of presents itself. It makes sense. The rap thing is, or the, the kind of hip hop gang thing is kind of a trip. It was weird. I mean, when I think it didn't seem, it seemed like what was going on at the yeah. time. It seemed like commonplace to me. Like there was this whole thing going on underneath all everybody's parents' noses. But looking back on it, it there was some really bad things going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, think about how old you were. Think about what a kid that age is like now and wonder, 
when they're unaccounted for, is that what they're doing? I don't, yeah. I don't think so. Some of them has to be know. though. Like, yeah, it's in certain places for sure. Guaranteed. Cause <laughs> kids are getting beat up. Yeah. But I mean, I think there was like a weird thing then with the, like just the like early nineties sort of like infatuation with pop culture and, and sort of gangster stuff. And it was like, you know, it was, it was what was selling. It was what was popular. And so it was, everybody's buying it up and grabbing it up and, Ron had a 63 Impala that we used to ride around in oh, listening really? to The Chronic. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah. Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so. I mean, yeah. Just, it, it was it was everywhere. These The kids that I was growing up around just really like hook, line, sinker, just dove in, which like all that music's great and like all that stuff is, is rad except for the part where everybody decides they're going to fucking beat the shit out of each other and, you know. All that stuff. That was not cool. So, okay. So what you've been telling me, that connects up to you being coming up to the shows with your brother. Botch is playing shows. Ground Zero. You're talking to me about lyric sheets. You're doing Harkonnen. You're skateboarding. You're in our world. Tell me about putting out that first Harkonnen record. The tape? Um. Well, okay. Because that was, was that your first time recording? Yes. And you were, what, were you playing bass? I was playing bass, yep. How did you learn to play bass? Um, <laughs> and who'd you steal the bass from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it was a guitar. Dave had an acoustic guitar that I stole from him to l- learn how to play uh, undertow songs. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think from that, uh, you know, I kind of commandeered that band that Matt Howard was doing. I, I can't remember what they you were. You stole called. the band from Matt stole Howard. The band. Well, still, you let him stay in it. Matt, me and Matt Howard. Well, I I swooped in, and I think two of the guys that were in the band left or, you know, they were trying to do like a grungy alternative thing. And all of a sudden we were trying to do like chokehold and undertow and, you know, that kind of stuff inside out songs. And, and so that was like, Oh, those guys didn't care anymore. And so, uh, and then the guitar player eventually quit the band, but some of the gear was left behind. So there was like a bass and like combo amp and, uh, a distortion pedal. And weirdly enough, you know, when I started like, trying to tag along with the botch guys to shows and whatnot. You know, they're pretty eclectic bunch for a bunch of straight edge hardcore kids. Cause like, you know, Brian, uh, Brian cook, he, um, you know, he was into like, I, I would tag along with them to go to fallout records mm-hmm. and I would just be like, what do I buy? <laughs> you know, what, what should I get? And, and they'd be like, get this. It'd be like the undertow EP. And they'd be like, get this. And it would be uh, inside out seven inch. And then Brian was like, Ooh, and get this. And it was the Godhead silo 12 inch record. Or like you know, the Locust 10 inch or something. It was way before the Locust, <laughs> okay. but it was like Godhead silo. That was just like distorted bass and drums, you know, just like this really like noisy, which had the same kind of fidelity as some of the like punk records I was into, but totally different vibe and sense of humor. But like, it was like, cool. So like bass can be distorted and sound like a full band. Like this sounds like a whole band. So when everybody started quitting the band that me and Matt were doing that eventually ended up being Harkonnen, I just uh, played bass and played power chords with the bass distortion. And and you played a bass and a distortion pedal and through an amp that was left at the practice space. More or less to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Did they ever come back and try to get their stuff back? Uh, Yeah, actually that stuff ended up going away. It took a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By that time, I'd talked my folks into helping me uh, get a little dance and get a little bass rig, a little bass amp and bassing. Cool. Mm-hmm. But the distorted bass thing kept on. And you, you've kind of described a situation where you're like a character in a video game 
that is just going up levels as you're acquiring more <laughs> gear that you're finding laying around. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> there was a lot around. I mean, I just followed my brother around and anything that he dropped mine, I was quick to swoop up. Is, Love it. Turns out all that stuff was really cool <laughs> to this day. So, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So talk about uh, the first recording. Your first experience with recording. Um, we went to the same place Botch had gone to, uh, Uptone Recording Studio in Tacoma, which uh, was owned by um, Clint from Seaweed, the guitar player from Seaweed. Wait, and that first Botch and the first Harkonnen were, were done by Clint? I think, well, Botch did their demos at home, Dave mm-hmm. Knutson recorded them, and then their first 7-inch record um, that Wally put out, I think they did that at Uptone. Okay. And then... Um, so yeah so we just kind of you know they paved the way we just kind of followed (laughs) we're just like okay cool that's a place you can record their record sounds great our record should sound great so yeah (laughs) well whatever yeah but uh so yeah we went to uptone and and did like a you know four song recording session for a tape and uh yeah and that had like a bunch of distorted bass and then we had a guitar player by that time and a singer and and it was kind of more and people used to call us baby botch because Yes. Do you remember that? I do. You're one of them? No. <laughs> I don't think I did. I think I just call you Harkonnen. No. <laughs> Sometimes it depends on how that stuff was said. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't see a whole lot of good in that. And didn't, plus didn't I hurt always, my feelings. I love Botch. I was like, cool. <laughs> sure. But I always know that like things are going to, I mean, look, I, I watched the guys in Refuse become Undertow. Mm-hmm. Right. I watched Headline. That would, you know, become trial, become what trial was in the end. You know what I mean? I watched all these bands learn and grow. And so I wouldn't see a band that wasn't very good with young people that wasn't very good and think it's going to stay like this. Yeah. I was always looking for the the thing in there, the little spark mm-hmm. is, that was going to make it into something that yeah. I'd care about later. Totally. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I've never liked the, the look. I don't know. Look down your nose and trash talk. And, yeah. You know, I don't know if calling yeah. a band Baby Botch was, was considered trash talking, but probably for some. <laughs> probably. Yeah. We, we, you know, we took it as a compliment, I think. <laughs> We're just like, cool. cool, cool. It was your grandpa straight edge. Oh, and let me ask. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask. You were straight edge at this time. Uh, Yeah. I think about the time I, you know, was running away from the 9-5 click and, skateboarding and starting to go to bot shows and did straight edge save you from the gang <laughs> you can answer honestly i'm trying to think what's how does the how does the uh statement go out of the um the pot and into the burner or what is how does that go out of the frying pan into the fire thank you <laughs> no that's not true that's not true well it's not <laughs> that's not even accurate for everything that's shitty about straight edge it's not as bad as that backyard situation that you described well, with grade school kids and and adults beating each other up doing drugs and having sex do you remember uh tim dickinson he was a Tacoma kid, uh, and he was a little older, and he kind of had a similar story as what I was talking about. He was involved in some gang stuff. He was like a straight up for real blood, but then he got into like hardcore and straight edge and stuff and totally into it crazy. But there was a show at the uh, Lake City Community Center where I remember some gangster kids showed up and were kind of like messing with the kids, punk kids in the parking lot. And Tim Dickinson went out and just beat a bunch of them up 
And they came back to shoot up the Lake City Community Center. They locked the doors. This was one of those unity fests oh. that Mark Manning used to put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember a little bit about this. So I, come on. I was not there. It's not exact. I mean, okay, totally different. But there, I just remember there were moments of like, this shit's fucking crazy too. These motherfuckers are just as crazy as this asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you're dealing with like, you're hearing about Salt Lake City. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You're hearing about straight edge that okay. goes too far. There's so right. many parallels between that super extreme nutcase fucking version of the straight edge world that sits right in with like the idiots that i was hanging out with as a sixth grader because they thought they were gangsters and they were just full of shit but they were dangerous and doing fucked up shit same with those like jackasses in salt lake city and all that yeah don't kick my ass <laughs> yeah yeah because now you're talking about people that are still around yeah it's real isn't it <laughs> i don't know they think who knows it is. now think it's real who knows now uh that's all part that's all just a fun part of the history now totally like yeah. you know i mean it's not fun for anybody who was uh maimed or killed but yeah for all the survivors, it's, oh, yeah, hey, remember that guy got stabbed? <laughs> God, it, I'll hear about that kind of thing, the different, like, gang factions within the hardcore thing and, the, like, it, modern ones that still exist to this day. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, it just drives me fucking nuts, man, because it takes me right back to that shit where I'm just like, these kids who are like, you know, it's all it's all in fun and it's all like... A, Some of them aren't kids. Some of them were adults when you were a kid and they're still adults and they're still in it. And it's just like, what fucking crazy fantasy? Like, it's not, I mean, it's not like you're gangsters and you're coming up and you're trying to fend for survival and like take care of your family and like, you know, you need to support your, your people. Well, and, certainly not in the hardcore scene here. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> in other places, maybe so. But in Seattle, Washington, come the fuck on. It drives me nuts, man. I just, ugh. And like, and especially some of the ones that, I mean, this isn't a straight edge thing only. This is like, there's just, there's all these, these crews that are just out for blood and they're like, and it's just for status or this thing. And like, like you're fucking 35 years old, like get over it. Fucking get, I mean, it's, I don't say grow up because I'm, people do terrible things all the way to their entire lives and feel like they have to, I feel like they need to do for their identity or whatever, but it's just, um, I just, I was pissing me off. I guess just because it's close to home from all that stuff. It's just, sure. it's just like, cause you were, cause you were there as a child. I got my ass kicked by people with the same fucking ridiculous ideas. Just as embarrassed as I am about that shit, which is like, it's just such a fucking obvious, like bunch of bullshit. I just feel that way about those guys. I'm like, man, like, aren't you embarrassed at all? Does it, do you ever just go like, Oh shit. Oh. Hey guys, I got to break in for a second. Please listen to this ad. It's not really so much an ad. It's more like a good cause. It's only a few seconds. Give it a listen. We'll get right back to the show. Thanks. By signing up for a recurring monthly donation to 100 for Haiti, you can give people in rural Haiti access to clean water and help them live safer lives. A little can go a long way. Find out more about our work at 100forhaiti.org. That's all spelled out, 100forhaiti.org. We gotta take a little break there for a minute, folks. Uh, who knows? Maybe I put an ad in there. I don't know. Um, we're talking about Straight Edge. I want to know how you encountered Straight Edge. Where'd you hear about it? Uh, from my brother. Because he was Straight Edge. He was Straight Edge. Did you steal it from him? <laughs> yep, like everything else. Totally. Yep. And uh, so, what was the first Straight Edge thing you heard? Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess 
Botch wasn't a straight edge band, but you know, when they made their demo and were taking pictures from their first show in the garage, you know, they had X's on their hands and it was what that all about. And, um, and then the undertow tapes, that you undertow were tapes, and then tagging along to that undertow chokehold show at the, uh, ground zero. Um, I bought the chokehold seven inch, which was just chock full of photos of, you know, like Xerox style photos of people with X's and you couldn't really tell what was going so on. So did you start trying to find out what this straight edge thing was all about? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, one of the first things I ever got into from there was, I don't know if you, do you know Brian Dingledine? I know the name. Sure. He's in that band Catharsis and he did, he did a zine that I wish I could remember the name of, but it was on the table at that chokehold show that I I bought or I, I mailed out for her. I mailed out five bucks and he sent this cassette that a comp that had catharsis and I want to say ringworm and it had integrity live song and a few other bands. And that was all straight edgy stuff that I kind of delved in from there. And, um, and then, you know, like through skateboarding, you'd be flipping through thrasher and then all of a sudden you, there's this pull the page and Oh shit, this is a full page victory records ad. Who, what's this? Oh, that's definitely a straight edge band. There's strife. And, you know, they're, yeah, that they had that record thrasher always a always a great resource yeah it was like there was tons of straight edge stuff in there all of a sudden i was like okay and then you just kind of go down that path so when did you claim straight edge <laughs> um i think i xed up at a bot show in tacoma and uh i remember who all played i think it was you know those shows in tacoma were like there'd be a couple of straight edge bands there was mm-hmm. a band called thrive from puyallup and then botch and then um, the rest of the bands were like kind of like weird, um, punk, silly punk bands and yeah. ska bands and that sort of thing. It was all kind of sort of smooshed together. And so it was kind of like, and it wasn't like a straight edge show. It'd be like a punk show, but there'd be the straight edge kids and the ska kids, sure. and the crusty kids and all that stuff just kind of jammed together. So that's probably somewhere, probably 1994, somewhere in there. Okay. And it was at that show where you X'd up and you went, okay, I guess this is what I am doing now. Yeah. And I think back, I remember, I mean, it was kind of a weird thing because, you know, I just kind of escaped that whole nasty gang thing. And, you know, the idea of like, I'm in this crew now, I'm in this, like this group of people, I'm in this thing, I've got this identifier and I'm, you know, there's like some like, you know, the things that you're, you don't drink and all this stuff. It's your whole thing now. And it's like, it's kind of a seamless transition just in terms of like having a fixed identity with a group of people on this whole, right. like, it's very like simple, pure, like this is what I am. This is But it, so it felt comfortable to you in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you were what, 14. Yep. And you had already been drinking, smoking weed. Mm, nope. No. no. Well, what no. did you quit to be straight edge? Not much. No, okay. it wasn't about quitting or like change, turning my life around. Uh, I mean, I guess the gang thing, I guess, but that was more just about fighting and whatever. Um, but I, I'd had a couple beers, whatever. I'd know, I hadn't been like drinking for a year. Okay. And then, yeah, it was more just like about this is the community I'm going to. Uh, so it wasn't with. hard. Well, no, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was, it was just, it was, uh, no, I, there was nothing I was giving up to do. It, it wasn't like that for me at all. I was a kid, you know, it was like, it's surprising what, though. What some people get into early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like quit that gang. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You were still exposed to a lot of that stuff. You could have been, I mean, you could have been smoking weed for a year before you got into straight edge. Sure. Yeah. But no, no, I never got into it. So how long were you straight edge? Um, I think that I stopped being into that, that stuff 
about time I graduated from high school, maybe into my senior year of high school. So not long. Um, yeah, I guess probably about, it probably felt like a long time then about six years. So, but you were, you uh, did it's like 19, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you remember what the, was it a slow decline or was it a break with it? Was there something that happened that made you go, nah, not for me anymore? Um, it was the summer after I graduated from high school. I, I don't remember. Did you tell me? I did tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with you about it at the old, uh, break room and you were like, you're not drink, you're not driving, are you? And I was like, no, sir. <laughs> that was one of my yeah. concerns. Yeah, totally. At the old break room. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, you know, with Chop Suey now. It was oh, called, yeah, yeah. Is that was called break room or. What um, show? I think it was Botch and Goat Snake. Oh yeah. Okay. I actually, now I, that, thank you. You, you rooted me in that night. I talked to Greg Anderson for a long time that night. So that was the night I found out you weren't straight edge anymore. It was, huh? a, it was like a poor, poorly attended show. <laughs> kind of. I filmed botch at that show. Oh. Matsuoka and I both filmed. Botch oh, rad. At that show yeah. That two, sounds right. From two angles. And I, if I remember right, uh, somebody from Pearl Jam was there and, uh, and I remember Tim Latona being super, the drummer from Botch, super excited. <laughs> and he was like tripping on that, trying to get him to come watch from the stage or whatever. <laughs> but uh, So that was the night. I was like, it's probably just concerned. I didn't want you to be the ex straight edge guy. That was one thing I always yes. say to people like, I better not see you smoking outside a show like a month <laughs> from now. Piss me the fuck off. <laughs> see, one of the only things that ever really like. I, I remember there being a lot of kids who like, you know, well, they say they crash hard or you fall hard, whatever you like. Right. You're just not strange anymore. And then you just go nuts and go berserk. For me, it was way, it was a lot more mellow than that. It was like, yeah, you never seemed, but then again, I'd never thought of you as being some intense straight edge guy because I was just mostly into the bands. I was just mostly into like the bands that I got inspired by. And that was what was cool to me. I didn't kick it with the straight edge kids and just like be straight edge. It was just like a thing you do at a show that to me, it was that was where I identified with it. I think, you know, Matt Howard, he kind of stopped dealing, getting into that stuff first, uh, when he was about a senior in high school. And I kind of like observed for about a year, kind of like my friends going to parties and drinking and being, and my buddies happened to be a bunch of really silly, good hearted people and not real self-destructive. And yeah. And they just kind of goofy whoop de whoop. And, uh, and then, uh, when I graduated from high school, Botch guys let me tag along with them on tour around the world for about six months, uh, doing their light show and being a roadie. And I just started, had my first beer. And so my first kind of like experience with that was traveling with those guys around, you know, when we're in Europe for seven weeks and they have these flats of beer for us at these shows and, <laughs> and we'd had a great time. I had the most amazing time and none of it was like, you know, the horror stories that you think yeah. about and all that stuff. It was just a blast and like made a bunch of funny new friends and, and it was just like, you know, it was, it was obvious to me that I was like something that could fit into my life and not be, um, you know, a burden to anybody or myself. I wouldn't screw my right mojo up. It wouldn't make me into a monster. I wasn't like, <laughs> there's, there's something that happens and, and maybe because you had these experiences before when you were younger, but there's something that happens to some people when they don't drink when you're supposed to learn how. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so if you're not like when you're 15, like it's one thing to be a complete drunk idiot. And when you're in college, it does, it's one thing to be a complete drunk idiot. You know, you should have more experience. But mm -hmm. for some people, that's really they don't until they get there. But when you sell out at 26 
And now you're doing the drinking you were supposed to be doing at 17. Yeah. It's a little pathetic. Yeah, I can see that go wrong. And I've seen it, you know. And it's, Yeah, it's, just, it's person by person, you know. I, some people, I think, I mean, it's 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 it throws everybody off to some degree and and uh but it's just some, some people just it seems like it really screws them up you know like it, there's a dark thing underneath there and you know i think that that's what attracts a lot of people to straight edge and hardcore is like you have this thing this place to put all that energy that comes from wherever and it's totally productive and can be super um positive and all that and then the second you put that down and trade it for this thing that lets all the demons loose for some of those people and it can be a mess and yep. it sucks and it's just a total bummer. But, uh, I don't know. I guess I, I, I had pretty, aside from all that silly gang shit, it was a pretty positive, happy upbringing as a kid. And, and I felt pretty, uh, pretty stable. And so it seemed like having a few beers and having some laughs with some goofy people didn't seem to throw off my game too much. Sure. Well, um, I don't, I don't have any examples of, of you that I can think of that are like, Oh, I got to ask you about this one time when you were really crazy. It's all pretty chill. So then, okay. Harkonnen happens mm -hmm. and it's still going. You are in edge of quarrel, mm -hmm. which is my feature length, uh, punk versus straight edge gang film. Yep. Uh, and you play Johnson, the, so Pettybone's character, Jason has two guys that are his lieutenants, basically. Aaron Edge's character, who's uncontrollable, violent dude. Mm -hmm. And then Johnson, who's like stable, steady. He does what needs to be done kind and of thing. And a dick. And that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson so, is a dick. And you instigate some of the shit that goes down in there. Mm -hmm. But I, your character doesn't, I, th I feel like your character didn't, this is how I wrote it, doesn't know. Like, you know, you're, you're talking shit to Matisse's character, you know, but you, you don't really have the big picture. You don't know about their, their relationships and their whole, you're just like, this is what's happening right now. You get the fuck out of here. I never got a script. It was like, here's what you say. And here's how you say it. You never, here's the thing. No one read the script. I think Maddie might be the only person who actually understood what the story was because <laughs> certain people got scripts. They were expensive. I had to print them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, no one really. I don't think knew where it was going. You all had were wonderful for just having <laughs> the faith or letting me do that to you all. Um, so do you have any, any memories of anything that was bad or weird about that experience? Cause it went on for a long time the movie? Or, or anything that I wouldn't remember or wouldn't know about. No, it was, it was, in fact, it was to me, that was just, a, I met a bunch of people that I didn't know making that. And it was like people who I'm still in touch with to some degree, like Matt Bayless is one of probably my better friends and uh, I don't, I don't see him as much as I'd like, but, um, but he's, yeah, I met him definitely getting together to shoot that scene in the playground where uh, ch they're chasing Aaron down the, the playground or whatever. And yes. Damien. And the that's, running. Where, that's where I met Damien, I want to say. And he was like one of my heroes, bass player from one of my favorite bands. And I think I met him. Oh yeah. He got a pen slashed on his yep. face Yep, and then he was, yeah. Okay. So there's that, and probably when I got to know you really better than anything was was during that filming that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, it was weird, and like some of the Murder City Devils guys. Um, I'm just waiting for someone to tell me the story. I don't know about it. I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I wasn't my memories of it mainly are just like the fight scenes, and I only had a couple of line parts. I don't remember there being a whole. Did you lot get hit in any of the fight scenes? 
Uh, and like, and like real life hit, like yeah, hurt. Yeah. I don't remember too much because of, of the way we did all the fight scenes for the most part. Because the ones, the few that are actually coordinated, look terrible. <laughs> it's it was just like, okay, guys, you guys are gonna fight. Try not to actually hurt each other, but try to also make it look real. So yeah. there'd be like these like pig pile punching fights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was the one we did up on uh, on Queen Anne kind of by that park that looks over like downtown yeah down the stairs next yeah, yeah. to it and i remember that being pretty uh intense <laughs> on the steps it was, yeah. there was fighting on the steps there was also a bunch of drunk dudes at the top that had like a keg do you remember this and every oh. time i would say action and you guys would run they'd yell surge and they were fucking up the shot do you remember that <laughs> no because surge was the drink at the time you remember? Yo, I remember Surge. Totally. <laughs> so they believe in the commercials, they'd yell Surge. So these dudes thought it was funny that every time you guys would start running, they'd yell Surge. Those guys are right. That is totally funny. It, it, <laughs> yes, they were, but it was pissed me off. <laughs> All right. So that was cool. Um, and so you suffered through that. And then uh, let me see. I filmed you guys um, when you played, when Harkonnen played the, the last bot show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm going to see, I think I have, I don't know if I've uploaded it, but I have a, a like an edited video with some weird crappy old video effect stuff on it of one of the songs from that. Really? Yeah. Dude, I'd love to see that. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it up. I'll upload it and link it to this. Uh, okay. To, awesome. to the blog page on this. <laughs> Rad. It's pretty good. Um, that was a blast. So that, so that gets up through kind of like through the band stuff. How, how did it, how did things play out with Harkonnen? Um, well, uh the version that was together when uh, we did the movie with you had me, Matt Howard and Bill Quimby and uh, Bill left the band and a guy from Lakewood, Casey Hardy joined and the band kind of took a real transformation and um, it was kind of more like a weird heavy rock thing after that. But we were banned for another, um, I don't know, like six years, seven years, something like that. We went all the way uh, after high school to like, 2004 like another yeah, another six years and then things just were going slow and people were moving away to go to college kind of you know familiar to the story sure and so things just kind of slowed down from there and just we never really quite broke up we just kind of it sort of fizzled um and that was that and then, what was the last show you played last show we played was at bumper shoot actually and it was uh 2003 2003 i guess when i think about it yeah and it was, you know, it was like bumper shoot, which is there's lots of people there, but there weren't a lot of their people there to see us. And, right. And we just, I remember we just, we just broke all of our shit afterwards and people were like, who's this band breaking all their shit? And like, <laughs> like it's some important show. And we were like, it is an important show. It was our last show. But I mean, that was kind of like testament of the band. Like people didn't really know where to put us. We came out of that hardcore world and, and all the kids hardcore show, we didn't look the part and. Um, we didn't sound like any of the bands that there weren't like obvious mosh parts and stuff like that. And that's and weird with the stuff that you were doing. I feel like it would go over well now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. We got back together and did a few shows a few years back and, and played with undertow and integrity actually at Numos and had a blast. That was super fun. That seemed like it went over really well. Yeah. And we were like, why wasn't it like this back in the day? Like, yeah, it's always like that, I guess. All right, we're back from one more quick break. Dog was going a little crazy. We had to calm things down around here, but we're back. I think we were talking about the end of Harkonnen, basically, and you guys getting together and playing. You were talking about playing with Undertone Integrity. Yep. Um, and then you did some other stuff in between Harkonnen and 
Helms Lee, which is what you do now. Yeah. Um, so about time that Harkonnen was sort of uh, fizzling out and uh, Botch was doing the same. They played their last show about the same summer that Harkonnen played our last show. And so a few of us were kind of milling around, kind of figuring out what to do with our time and with music. And uh, so I think Dave, my brother and I, um, we had the idea of getting together and just playing like drums and bass stuff. He was going to play drums and I was going to play bass and just kind of like see what happened. And then we had practice and Brian was like, I want to come in and play with you guys. And so Brian came down and he played guitar and I ended up playing guitar and I had these synthesizer pedals. I was playing bass with my feet and, and guitar and Brian was playing guitar and he had these kind of pop songs. So we started like not pop songs, but kind of like melodic sort of heavy rock kind of things. And that sort of evolved into this thing we called Roy. And we did that for a few years and, um, that band put out a few records, um, before that kind of ended up fizzling out as well. Um, and besides that, uh, Brian was doing these arms are snakes and uh, the drummer for that band quit at some point and they were trying to figure out a replacement and I kind of faked my way into that band and did about a year of touring trying to play drums. drums. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which was uh, super fun and super hard. And um, it was always kind of their band. And um, so that was kind of a short lived thing. And at some point I was like, you guys should get a real drummer. <laughs> you guys probably be a lot happier with a real drummer. Um, which they were probably relieved, you know, to, to not have to be like, we need a real drummer, <laughs> if I had to guess. But. Uh, your Wikipedia has a really weird entry about you leaving that band. It does. Yeah, you should go read it. It says, quit abruptly with no notice on tour or something. No. It's really, well, people can, it's Wikipedia, man. That's not, that's not what happened. Okay. Do you want me to cut this out? No, I don't care. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Because <laughs> then people will go look at your Wikipedia. <laughs> and one thing that I thought was fun about looking at your Wikipedia, because I wanted to see if there was stuff that I didn't know about you, stuff mm -hmm. that I had, stuff that I had forgotten, mm -hmm, you know? Sure. Um, uh, it was cool seeing that you had a Wikipedia page. That's crazy. About you, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Yeah. And so people you don't know have just put in information about you. And apparently they've put some bad information in you, maybe a little bit of schism info that's not real. I wonder where that's coming from. I mean, I guess, yeah, but certainly wasn't on tour. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but it was only this afternoon. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of, I was sitting down with all those guys after we got back from a long year of touring and, uh, you know, Tour is hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's fun, but it's hard. And I think I was just thinking, you know, I had songs that I wanted to do, and I was just thinking, like, I've been playing these songs with these guys that they wrote, and I just figure if I'm going to be out touring and sleeping on dirty floors and, you know, eating gas station food, I'd rather be doing it with a band that I was involved with writing songs for, just because that's kind of one of my big kicks is doing that sort of thing. Sure. So I... That was kind of, and they, they were totally understood and there wasn't any So did you, feeling. did you go right from that into doing Helms Elite? Pretty quick. Yeah. So quit that band. How, how did that band form? Uh, well, after these arms are snakes, I was just kind of kicking around Seattle, figuring out what to do. Um, by that time I had already done a couple years of pre-engineering school in Tacoma at the community college and got denied entry into UW for the electrical engineering program. So I was kind of pissed off at school and the band things hadn't Harkonnen was done snakes were done and I got a job uh painting houses with my buddy Dana James and our buddy Michael 
um, like one of those summer, you know, house painting kind of deals. And so we were doing that kind of work all summer and painting houses. And then after work, just hanging around, drinking beers. And um, Dana was a bass player in a band called Your Enemy's Friends. And so she was kind of new in town from California. And so we'd kind of sit around and, and just kind of play music a little bit. I had a little kind of studio set up in my house. Um, and then at some point we were like, we should start a band. And uh, we asked Matt from Harkonnen if he wanted to get involved. And so he did for a little bit. And then he went away to go to um, a work internship kind of thing. And so we were left without a drummer and a uh, few people later and a drum machine thing later. <laughs> Just one of those, you know, drummers, hardest thing to figure out. Mm-hmm. But I had known uh, Hozoji, uh, who was in a band called TNA in Tacoma that I had recorded years before. Um, and knew her to be an amazing drummer and a rad person and a buddy. And, but I was complaining to her about how I had a hard time finding a drummer. And she was just like, well, you know, I play drums, right? And I didn't even think, didn't even occur to me to ask her because she had always been busy with other bands. But so she came up to Seattle from Tacoma where she lived and, and played music with me and Dana and it clicked right away. And that ended up being Holmesley. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you've, it's been going for a while now. Nine years. You've been around for nine years. Yeah. It's just. I know, dude. I know. So think back to the way you things felt in like 96, 97. It's all coming together, right? Imagine being what it would have been like to have been in a band for nine years at that point. It's just insane. The time is flying by right now so much differently than it did when all those things are happening. I had no idea that you were in that band for nine years. It's insane. It's totally insane. (laughs) So, I mean, the last time we were going to record this podcast, I was trying to put it together. You're like, dude, I'm leaving for tour. Yeah, that's so this right. Is, this is something you're quite active with still, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, you know, we're on the verge of recording our fourth full-length record, and um, we've been hard at it touring, and yeah, it's been, I mean, it's a busy band that um, fits into our lives doing other things. I don't, it's not one of those bands that's all-encompassing, and we're on tour all year round or anything like that. Right, so you all have other things that are... That yeah, are fo- that are your focuses in your life, and the, you just also get to do the band. Well, I think that it's, it's not that it's uh, like a recreation thing on the side of our, our real lives. I think it it's very much part of the real life. You know, it's like it's a, it's as much of a mandatory thing for all three of us as, you know, the work we do aside from it. You know, Hazoji is a, um, and she's a fisherman for the Puyallup tribe. Uh, diving for gooey ducks, like surface to air kind of stuff. She's like a crazy, wow, fisherman person. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so she does that, and that's a big part of her. And she loves diving and loves water and all that. And she's marine life. She's like big into that world, um, bio research and all that kind of stuff as well. And then Dana's doing. Uh, she's getting real involved with doing. Uh, how do we call it? We uh, flower arrangements. Florist? She's yeah, a yeah. Flora, yeah, she's a floral, <laughs> florist. Florist. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's knee deep in that. And then I've been doing the amp thing for the last eight years. And the amp thing is a big deal. There are a lot, there are probably a lot of people that would know you primarily from that. Maybe so. There might be some. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's in person. You've explained this to me before, but we're gonna do it again for the podcast because <laughs> I don't totally understand. This you may be the only person I know that's kind of gone this route. How do you go from playing music through amps to I'm going to make the amps? Um, well, I mean, I guess in my case, it was eight years of engineering school, and then 
the good fortune of having a professor at UW that was interested in vacuum tubes, which is sort of the old world technology that a lot of guitar amps still use. And the nice thing about that to somebody just breaking into manufacturing is that um, vacuum tube amps are kind of like the old Ford truck of electronics. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. there's only so many parts in there. You can get in there. You can look at it, see what it is, figure it out, wrap your head around it. It's not um, it's not so esoteric and complicated as like a really sophisticated like you open your computer and go no idea what's going on right it's a little bit more basic so there's a good starting place there that's a little bit more inviting to some of somebody just entering into it so that helps and then the school stuff helped not necessary i wouldn't say but um yeah that's a big part of it i guess you you have a facility now you Mm -hmm. you work there i mean that's your full-time job at least full-time yeah at least full-time well i know i'm sure it's probably much much more um, and you've done some pretty high profile stuff. There's a Seahawks amp that the picture goes around a lot that you made yep, for a, yep. a big local celebrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not to be named. <laughs> oh, not, not to be named. So yeah. And I know a lot of people have your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did, like, how did it get to the point where you're like, I think I can just do this as a job? Well, I was not a smart person to wait until that moment happened. I finished college and I went and borrowed a bunch of money from a bunch of really nice people. And from day one, this is what I'm going to do for my full-time job. And uh, so that has its good and bad things, you know. I was I was in it, so I had to figure out a way to make it work. I had good friends and family, uh, a bunch of money. So I, didn't, I had to figure out a way to make it work. And it was really hard because, you know, we started the business, um, opened our doors in fall of 2008. So mm-hmm. you know what's going on in fall 2008 is... Everything's kind of oh yeah oh okay. Let's put this in perspective. Uh, Barack Obama is winning election, mm-hmm. and the country is falling apart. Yeah, and then in the in the months uh, after the new year, two thousand nine, people thought maybe the we were just losing it. Yeah. Maybe we were just losing the market. Everyone's losing their houses. Whatever. Right. It just everything fell apart. It was awful. Yeah. So a good time to start a business, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that that does put it in perspective. It's, it's probably hard for people to remember how bad that was, but it was scary for people. Yeah, and I mean, and I didn't know. I mean, it was hard for us. We had we had some experience selling things on consignment before we went full time, that gave us every indication that like, oh, this is going to go great. We're going to dive in, and you know, we had this projection. So you were ta- you were you were building stuff, and you were taking it and selling it on consignment at uh and music stores? Yeah, exactly. Like trading musician and that sort of thing. And you were making decent money doing that. I mean, we at that point we were just trying to get them out in front of people, so we were selling them for just a little bit more than it cost us to make them. Um, but they were they were selling quick. So people would walk in and they'd see that did you have that same logo the whole time? The Yeah, the original one was much cruder looking. It was, you know, briquette uh heated brand. That we would just... So you're branding all these amps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so people would walk in and were they people that knew you, you think, and they'd recognize the name or were people just like, this looks cool. What is this thing all about? Yeah. I mean, at the time, no, nobody definitely had any idea about Varel and amplifiers. And I mean, Helmsley, is, especially back then, isn't a well-known band, still not a well-known band like that. But um, And Harkonnen certainly never made like a huge mark that would... I just don't know if there's a lot of businesses that can actually operate that way. That's so old school. You were taking it into businesses and selling it consignment, and it was a product you were making. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of arrangement exists a lot 
in the fashion world. I think people do that with clothes and jewelry and that sort of thing. And people do it with um, people who make guitar pedals and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, it, it didn't work for us. You know, we, we started out thinking it was going to work because it had for a couple examples before, you know, the economy went to shit and we yeah. started the business. So we were like, cool, like, let's dive in, let's build, get, rent, get a bunch of money together. And then let's build like 20 of these things and put them in stores all over the state and the area and they'll sell and then we'll make some more and they'll sell. Well, they didn't sell. We made a bunch and they sat in stores for a year and it was oh. just like, it was really rough. And so we were kind of cobbling business together, trying to like get the word out through friends and, um, and it was just, a, it was a rough go for a long time. And, you know, but there was enough residual interest just from word of mouth and a little bit of social media. And mm -hmm. eventually it kind of sort of escalated into something that we eventually paid everybody back. And by that time had a little bit of momentum and, you know, stopped doing things the wrong way. We had two shops when we started. That was a mistake. <laughs> Lots of things like that. that are just like, you, you don't know until you figure it out. Right. Maybe you can relate from the skate shop and some things you're just like, oh, that's not that design. Oh, you mean from doing everything wrong on every business I've run? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, hard, man. Oh, but I'm certain I'm doing this one right. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> PMA, dude. You, sports you, psychology. You might be sitting in a mistake right now. Dude, I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? And you're still doing it. And that's exactly the way I feel. Like, I'm not we're doing all kinds of things wrong. But the thing is, like, you make mistakes and you keep doing it and then eventually something works and then you just have to keep like just feeling around for something that actually is going to stick. And then a month later that doesn't work and you have to try something else. It's like, sure. It's hard. It's, it's, it's foolish is the word. <laughs> what, what, what was the thought? What was the thought process around having two shops? Uh, well, my shop up in Seattle was going to be the circuitry and the office, and then there was going to be a shop in Tacoma where my business partner at the time would do the carpentry. So it was like mm. a wood shop, and then. Okay, and okay, on on the face of it, that makes some sense to maybe keep those two things separate. Mm -hmm. One's messier in a way mm -hmm. than the other one is, and yeah, absolutely. That was the idea. That was the idea. I mean, we started out before we had shops at all. I was building amps in my basement, and he was building boxes in his basement. So it was like, if we're going full time, we want to take these out of the house. That was the first mistake. <laughs> Stay at home as long as you possibly can. As long as your roommates will deal with you. Don't create new bills yeah. that you have to pay. No, no. Huge mistake. <laughs> I always think about if we never would have left the, the basement, how much faster the whole thing would have clicked. Yeah. And for how much less investment. It, yeah, it's just, there's no reason. You wanted to get out there and hang the shingle out though. Yeah, it's that, and it's just, and it's also, the other thing was for sanity, you, you want to go home from work, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go home from work. Not everybody's that way. No, no, you're right. Uh, you're right. There is there is a thing about going to work that is different. Yeah, yeah. It's And for me, for, for my sanity, it was like, I, I thought it was something I needed to do, but really I couldn't afford it. So how's it going now? It's, it's constantly getting a little bit easier and it's constantly getting a little bit more attention. The longer that we exist, the more people know about us. So that helps. Um, everything is still made one off. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do you envision a time when there will be models that will be manufactured like an assembly line style? Um, I don't, maybe, but I don't imagine on a very large scale, you know, I mean, our shop right now, 
you could only have two, maybe three people working there at the same time. And I think that would, we could get a lot of mileage out of that. And you, and it's not like something where you could say, okay, I have designed this certain style product and another place is going to fabricate it. Maybe in piecemeal, maybe some parts of it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, and you quickly open up Pandora's box of sure. having everything, you know, cranked out of a factory overseas and then having it show up and have all kinds of problems. And now your name is ruined and everybody thinks your stuff sucks. And, and Well, yeah, they only want Varellans prior to 2016. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a 2014 Varellan, so it's good. Right. Before that asshole sold his soul, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's not, uh, I mean, this is just something that you want to do. You're not looking at a way to scale it. I mean, the thing is, like, if I was to do that sort of thing, scale it up, like maybe get a bigger space, hire a few people and go for it on that kind of level, that would be great until the orders dried up. And once it did, I'd have to lay people off. I'd have to, like, figure out what to do with all this space. I mean, that I don't want that problem. That sounds terrible. And right now, the way it is, you know, it can be a real slow month, occasional real slow month. And if I sell unamp, that kind of that gets a lot of mileage. Um, and I can do it by myself. I can do it. Right. You know, so that, that part works really well. But, um, at some point it would be nice to step it up a little bit. I'm going to go do a, the NAM trade show coming up in January and try and drum up some more business with some stores, which isn't typical for us. Normally we just deal direct with customers on a one-off so they can. But see, I kind of feel like now if someone walked into a store and saw any amps, it wouldn't be like, what's this? They'd be like, oh my God, they have one of those here. And there's a shop in Chicago, Chicago Music Exchange, that's been doing that. They've been ordering some of our regular-ish models that we do and having some success selling them. And so um, that, to me, is an indicator that maybe now's the time to try and get a few more of those kind of situations going on. Excellent. Around the world. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, and it wouldn't take a lot of those for things to be kind of right at, like, comfort level, you know, where comfort level meets, like, this, the, the business is doing okay. Like, yeah. You can go too far the other direction and then, yeah, like we're doing a lot of business, but now like I hate my life. I'm stuck here all the time, stressing out. And so there's a juggling act there. Yeah. Um, well, it's exciting stuff, man. Thanks, dude. Um, I appreciate you coming in and, and doing all this, bearing your soul, telling some stories you weren't yeah, expecting to tell. Man, I've, I'm really like biting my tongue a little bit. I just sure uh, <laughs> saw some cats out the bag that I didn't think I'd... I it wasn't too... A lot of good friends of mine don't even know about all it, that. It, until, it, oh. it wasn't too incriminating. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It's okay. I'm, I'm happy to be embarrassed in my past a little bit. It's all right. Everybody's got it, right? <laughs> well, look, it was uh, some. that was a real revelation to me. I had no idea. I thought I've <laughs> known who you were, and I didn't know... That, yeah, that little bit, and so that was it was pretty cool. Everybody's got to be to hear about it. <laughs> Maybe not cool that it happened. It was cool to hear about. Eh, it. Not cool, but at the same time, like it's all right. You know, you you learn some things, and then the you know, next time somebody wants to be a tough guy, you kind of know what that means a little more. Like that was like the thing. Like I think a lot of people don't you never got their ass kicked until they were <laughs> grown. Didn't realize that it sucks, and it sucks to to kick somebody's ass. The whole thing just sucks. Yeah. And so this is like. Best to be avoided. Yeah, best to be avoided. Yeah, it's not glorious. You're just a dummy. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for this. Oh, hey, uh, if people can, is there a website people can come to? Yeah, varellanamplifiers.com, actually. Okay, and then come check out your stuff. Yeah, and um, I'll put I'll put links to different wherever I can find your different musical projects online. Uh, 
on the blog page that goes along with this okay. episode. So uh, hopefully people will go check that out, follow the links, see some. I'm gonna find some pictures of you from your younger days and put those <laughs> up there. There'll be a lot of things to look at on there. <laughs> don't worry it won't be too bad i'll consult with you to some degree or you can tell me after the fact hey take that down okay deal <laughs> so someone could screen cap it but what are you gonna do yeah um all right brother i appreciate it so yeah, much man. thanks so much dave thank you buddy. Yeah, awesome Bye. all right well, there we go. Ben Varellen, you now know the story. I now know the story. There's a lot of that story I did not know, so that was very cool. I'm just going to say before I get going on corrections and that sort of stuff, please, if you enjoy this show, just do me this favor, if you would. Well, actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do, but beyond you know buying everything in the store and uh, promoting this on your Facebook and on any message boards and your Twitter and all those things, your Tumblr, Snapchat, whatever other kinds of ways you have to promote stuff, just standing on the street corner telling people about a crazy person. If you could go to iTunes and you could give us a five-star review, and if you have some time, just write a couple of words, just, just saying that you enjoy it. That really helps get this show out to other people so they can find out about it. I love the way we're growing. I love the way people are finding out about it. People seem to be enjoying the show. I enjoy doing it. It can stay like this and I'll be happy, but I'd love to see more people find out about it and enjoy it also. So yeah, please do that for me. It would make me so happy. Okay, so... Let's go on to some things. Uh, in the show, I talk about uploading the Harkonnen video from the last bot show. I did do that. It's linked on the blog page for this episode at nobody'snose.com. It is also on the Nobody's Nose Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash nosynobody. If you go there, well, if you're listening to this in six months, maybe it won't be so easy to find. But you know what? Go scroll through. There's probably a whole bunch of cool stuff on there that I've put up that will be enjoyable. But regardless, you can find it. Probably the best way to do is go to the blog page and just click the link near the top uh, that'll say Harkonnen. It's Smile Pretty. It was the second song they played that night. And it came out really well. Like, I had forgotten that it looks really nice and it sounds excellent soundboard recording. So give that a look, uh, especially if you're a Harkonnen fan. It's pretty damn cool. Okay, corrections, there are two. And uh, first thing, in the beginning I talk about how Ben's character's name in the Edge of Quarrel is Johnson. And that I thought his name had been taken out of the film because of a cutout scene that he was in when he was on the telephone. But no, I was getting some pictures for the blog page and I realized that I had forgotten that Pettibone's character introduces Ben as Johnson when he brings Rocky over to his house for the first time. And it's that same scene where Matt Bayless like leans out of the kitchen like he's saying hello and he's just clearly not in the scene. He, he just wasn't even there that day when we were filming. Um, yeah, at the time I thought I needed to have everyone's names get said. It's one of a number of things that are just kind of dumb about the movie, but he is called Johnson, so I was wrong. The other thing that I was wrong about, uh, I say that Ron had a 63 Impala that we used to ride around in, and no, I'm pretty sure it was a 64 Impala, because I think that's the kind that you're supposed to have. Um, I'm not 100% on that. I don't think it's even important, but you know, I like to correct the record. I like to try to get this stuff right. So that's pretty much it. Um... I talked about the Facebook page. Definitely, please go like the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, at Nosy Nobody. 
yeah, check out all the other stuff on, on nobody'snose.com. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's going to be more. It's, you know, I've started a second podcast now. We're actually a podcast network, like I said I wanted to do. We are a podcast network now. In fact, at the very end of this, if you wait all the way past the end credits of the show, there's a little uh, teaser. There's a little ad for the new show, The Token Asian. So check that out. Um, Until next time, thank you all very much, and I'll see you then. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. Hey everybody, I just want to let you know about another show that we're doing here on the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. This show was created to give my friend Matt an opportunity to have his own show, to put his point of view out. It's called The Token Asian, and I'm here with Matt right now to tell you about the show. Matt, tell me about The Token Asian. Tell me what you're trying to achieve with this podcast. What I'm trying to do is to help, help the many of people out there that need help. And so you really think of this as a self-help type show? You're giving advice mostly to people? Well, it's not self-help. I will be helping those people. So it's more like a hands-on type of thing. Isn't it true that it's really just you getting high and me trying to make you have a conversation? Well, potato, potato, thumb in the ass. Who knows? We've done three episodes as of right now. Is that what we did? It felt more like two and maybe a third. Well, the third one, we'll see how it edits. It may go up, it may not. But I would encourage people to go listen to what we've done and to get your advice, to get your help, to just hear your Dave, worldview. Dave, 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 that third episode was cheese curd diarrhea if I've ever seen it. Well, then we'll just have to do better on the fourth. We'll have to push it. Push it where? Through the yellow lens. This is the point where I'd tell you where to tune in to hear the token Asian, but you can just listen to it whenever you want. Just go to the uh, the token Asian link under podcast. Convenience is the key, as Ian Mackay would say. Function is the key. Eh, no wonder I never got fucked by Riot Girl. www.nobodysknows.com. Go listen to the token Asian. Listen to the other episodes of I've Known You Too Long. Because he's Asian and he's token. See what else we've got coming down the line. There he's yellow and he's poking. An ear near you.